Hello and welcome to the BNB Show. My name is uh, Brandon, of course, and this guy right here is over here is going to be Brendan. That's Seahawks Brendan Nelson to you, if it were. And we're here tonight to do a little bit of a breaking down of this upcoming matchup against the Cleveland Browns. A very interesting one at that. A lot of elements at play in this upcoming game. Brendan, thank you for uh, coming on back in and air to the Hawks Nest as you do, man. Always, uh, always love being able to chop this up with you. And I think we got a fun, fun battle to kind of look at tonight. How was uh, the night taking you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And you're right. This is a very interesting and weird matchup. It's going to be very hard to uh, dissect after what happened last week, I think. Yeah, it's it's something that's not as just straightforward as always the X's and O's on this one. There's a few different little parts to this that make the whole matchup sort of go. But we want to lead off as we like to do with any of the uh, current ongoing news that we have established and has been popping off. And indeed, we do have a little bit of news, Brendan. One of the first uh, little signings we've had this year. It's been a quiet year as far as moves, trades, and all that type of stuff, hasn't it been? But we got a return. They're bringing the band back together a little bit. We got Mr. Frank Clark brought back into the house. Uh, I've given some expansive thoughts here on my channel with this, but what, uh, what were your thoughts on uh, the signing of Frank at this point, kind of all the way down to, in, in regards to what I'm sure you're like me also thinking of how this will affect things in other ways. Well, um, I'm not against it. I do think he's probably better and more useful a player than somebody like a Levi Bell or a Tyreek Smith at this point despite his age. he's not that old really like he's older he you probably think he's older than he is because he's been around so long but he's actually just turned 30 so his age is not necessarily the end of the world right now um he probably still has a little something left based on last season in Kansas City where he was a pretty effective part of a pretty good defense um I I I don't mind it I I think the signing is fine I think it makes sense you, you had to do something. Uh, I do have some concerns about his ability to play in this defense. I'd be interested to know what he weighs right now. Does he fit in as a 3-4 end or a 3-4 outside linebacker? And if not, does are we thinking about playing him on the defensive line? What, how are we going to utilize him when he spent his whole career in 4-3 defenses where his use was very clear and obvious? We always In, in a 4-3 defense, it's very clear what Frank Clark is going to do. In this 3-4, I'm not so sure. I went back and watched some of his uh, highlights from Kansas City, and from what I saw, there's the occasional play where he's standing up pre-snap, but most of the time his hand is in the dirt. Is he going to be able to do stuff effectively when he's standing up, or are we going to let him put his hand in the dirt, unlike our other edge rushers? Could that work? I don't know. So I'm not 100% sure this is the move to replace Uchenna Nwosu. It's a signing you make to mitigate the loss but i don't think this is going to replace him and i'm actually very interested to see what he does this weekend because supposedly he is going to play and it wouldn't shock me if we're treating this game as kind of a, a litmus test where we look at it and we go okay let's see what frank clark has in this defense on a fundamental level can he fit in in this defense can he play in this defense how does he look standing up how does he look with this modified three four if he does well then okay we're gonna ride with it if not we got two days until the trade deadline maybe we'll consider a different route but um yeah i i, I think it's fine but i'm not convinced this is the answer 
I thought of that of that maybe this is a good assessment point where you get a game of him starting out and playing right from the jump that does get you a chance to make a bit of a quick determination, albeit only one game. You can make a pretty quick read of how Frank will fit into the scheme, being that he is a guy not coming off the couch, Brendan, but who has been training and been a part of a team and it should be in the flow physically to be able to handle the duties of at least getting out there and playing a collection of snaps. Um, right. That's a great point, though. I hadn't considered really as much that they might do this as sort of a wait and see. I'm not sure this will be the case of how this is the way this will go down, Brendan, but just based off of kind of listening to what you're hearing from the NFL circles from me, I'm I'm getting the impression that this is going to be a slow trade deadline year, uh, maybe as slow as we've seen in recent years, and that they're just this may be the best of not many really great uh, possibilities out there that we could bring in. That maybe there really isn't there is not that agenda replacement at this point or anything really close to be able to go out there and grab. We'll see what the happens to the chase and the Montez sweat situation in Washington. But I mean, even absent them, who else is there? You know, as far as what we talk about that kind of level of impact. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the other options would have been Melvin Ingram, Robert Quinn, Carlos Dunlap, Alton Robinson, probably one or two more guys that I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. Those would have been the other guys you could have signed as free agents, right? Yeah. Which I don't think any of those guys, they may have better upside than Frank, but I don't think it's far away and clear that they would have. And in many cases, maybe less than Frank in certain cases. Yeah. So, so here's my question. What do you think happened in Denver with Frank Clark? Because he they signed him, they gave him money to where it was clear they expected him to be a part of their defense. And then he barely played and then they cut him. So what what do you think happened there? Well, I I think it's a hard guess to make. I, I will think that it's pretty easy at this point to notice that the fact that you have a uh, a team defensively that's been sort of devolved with this new defensive coordinator. Evero was in there and having that thing running like a fine-tuned machine, and that defense as a whole has not looked good across the board. Guys that look good like Patrick Christian and dominant before now don't look quite as good of players. Um, when you see stuff like that, to me, Brendan, happening across the board, it's a lot harder to then blame one individual player like Frank Clark to say, well, see, it's he fell far short of the mark for them and what they were hoping to get out of him. You know, Why is that Allen kid that they got out of Cardinals playing worse, right? Why Why is DJ Reed, why is DJ Jones playing much worse than he did with the Niners? Like, you go, we can go kind of deep into that, but it uh, it's not to say that, you know, um, it's not to say that uh, you know that there's there's not his responsibility on this, but I'm I go back to last year's grade, 67 PFF with the Chiefs, playing 736 snaps. So he had a good amount of run with the Chiefs last year. He had a good amount of play. He was effective for the most part. I mean, that's, if we if we can bring on a board a guy right now at 67 PF grade, that that's the guy we're getting as the fourth man in this edge rotation as far as his productivity, we we're gonna feel great about that. So, I, I mean, he can replicate that. That's fine. But I think when I look at the Denver situation, I see one that's toxic, that seems to have eroded, that doesn't seem to have players across the board that are all in at this time. And if anything, I look at it as more I, – I, maybe I'm alone on this, Brennan, but I, don't, don't you look at it as more of an encouraging sign that you have a player in this modern era who goes to the organization and says, hey, this is, this is the organization I'm in the right direction. I've got my millions. I got my tens of millions. I got my two rings. I want to go win again. Get me out of here. Let me, I'll tell you what, just tear up the contract. You guys can have your money back. That's basically what he did. When do players ever do that? To me, this is such an important part of this puzzle, Brendan, because it does show an, a, a, a motivation on Frank Clark's part to want to still go be part of a winning program, to want to still go out there and play and put it on the line. Otherwise, right. 
just play out the year, sit on the bench or be in the rotation minimally and collect your 3.2 million that he gave up by cutting himself free. Okay. So you don't think it's an indictment on Clark. Do you think maybe it's an indictment on his ability to fit into the, uh, the, uh, um, um, who, who's the name of their defensive coordinator again? The, the Vic, uh, no, it's, uh, it's one of those guys that you know, as you've heard his name a thousand times, I can't remember, uh, I'm spacing. Totally yeah, spacing. Well, anyway, he, he runs the three, four, right? It's a three, four yeah. defense. Right. Do you think it's any kind of indictment on his ability to fit into a three, four defense? Because that's the first time in his career he was playing linebacker. Um, it's obviously the first time he's done it. So that's definitely one thing that would be a bit of a worry, but let's just take Randy Gregory, for instance, you know, was Randy Gregory doing well in that defense? No, I just watched the Browns game where Randy Gregory from the first moment he jumps into the 49ers is getting a sack and he was creating pressures at times against Minnesota, Minnesota on Monday night. You know, I mean, it, you go, well, okay. That, I'm just starting, I'm reading that in the tea leaves and going, I can't take much off 36 snaps. Like that's way too much of a sample size, especially on this bad of a defense especially with the culture and environment that's going down out there in Denver to make anyone read on any one player really. Um, and the nice part about this move of course comes into Brendan, that this is totally low risk, high reward all the way. There is no draft pick compensation you're giving up. He's on a veteran minimum deal through the rest of the year. Now we've got that confirmed today. So, I mean, you, you can cut him at any time if you really want to, and all you're on the hook for is the game salary you've paid. So it's, to me, it's really one that I get the thinking of, I'd like to have seen a bigger, better move, my contention to that, and this is going to be proven out in time, right? We're going to learn this quickly with the trades that do go down before the trade deadline. So this will be proven out one way or the other fast. And that is that I don't believe that there's really indeed a player out there that was going to be that upgrade to, to Clark. The, mention, the players you mentioned are names and they're viable names, but not what you're talking about when you're talking about, hey, fine, like a Chase Young. That'd be okay. You're matching into a little bit of what you lost almost note for note. A Montez Sweat, note for note. Um, but you're not there on this one quite at that point, but maybe that's not there to be had. I don't think might be wrong on that, but no, no, no. I think it's very clearly the case that if you wanted somebody significantly better than Frank Clark, you had to make a trade, probably a significant trade. Like, uh, maybe Carl Lawson is better than Frank Clark. And maybe you could have gotten Carl Lawson for like, uh, I, I, I don't know, a, a sixth round pick. But other than that, the guys who would be actually better than Clark, they're going to cost you some real capital. The Chase Youngs, the Montez Sweats, the... Uh, I threw out a Khalil Mack in a video yesterday because he's... Uh, I, I think they're going to try to move him because he, there's no point in him continuing to be in L.A. at this point. Uh, th those guys you're going to have to trade for. So absolutely, if you're not willing to make that trade, which I don't blame the team for not being willing to make that trade right now, then Clark was about as good as you could hope for. Yeah, I um I was thinking about the Mac thing a little bit too. I didn't know if it was really a a viable thing that would be a possible of actually happening because you know, are they going to be in sell mode with this Charger team? Will they actually get to that point of like, okay, Staley's not the guy. We're going to have to fire our coach at the end of this year. We're going to have to, you know, let's get some assets off. What do you get for Mac? I mean, what does he cost? A fourth? Probably something like that because uh, they don't save that much money this year. All the savings are next year, but the savings are big. Because they pushed so much of that contract into 2024, trying to make this work for this one season. That might make it hard to make the move then at that point. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of dead money, but it's also a lot of savings. And in order for the Seahawks to do it, what they would probably have to do is trade him in the offseason. They'd have to trade for him, use him for the season, and then trade him again 
next off season for like a fifth or whatever, yeah. because I don't think we could afford to keep him next year. It just doesn't work. If they've, but, got the, um, if they've got the charges in sell mode. I think that's not the worst of ideas to potentially apply. Cause if you're getting a guy like that, he could help the max can help this defense out. That's for sure. Yeah, it was, uh, what did I do? Khalil Mack, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, uh, Brian Burns, of course, although uh, Carolina seems to think that he's the like a Lawrence Taylor clone with how much they value him. <laughs> and Turned down two firsts last year. I wonder what the price would be third. now. It was two oh. firsts and a third, apparently, is what they're saying now. That that is, that is They're high out there for not doing that, man. That was silly. That was yeah. Silly. That that owner, that new owner, uh, Tepper, seems like he's really bad. Like he's going to be a big problem for that organization going forward. Do you think he? Uh, do you think he shut it down, or do you think the general manager just said no on that one? Um, I would guess he shut it down because he's probably thinking the team is very close to competing for a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and the GM well, Fitterer, I think, is their GM, right? The old yeah. Fiat guy. He probably is a little more real about how far away the team is from competing for anything. Uh, so I would guess the owner shut it down. Apparently the, uh, the owner and the GM butt heads a lot in Carolina right now. So that that's not going well. Well, yeah, that, that's never good. And we've seen it a couple times in the few places there are in the NFL that have these overactive owners is it just doesn't, it just doesn't go well when they start extricating themselves into the situation and start saying, Hey, you know, let me have my say, I got this. I got, we heard about that with like the Bryce Young thing too, right? Like that was a, right. that, that was an owner, owner pick for them. <clears throat> Yeah, and oh yeah, one guy that people don't talk about that much that I like is uh, Josh Uche on New England. He broke out last year. He's in the last year of his rookie deal. It doesn't look like New England's going to keep him because they need to blow it up. I wonder if you could trade for him and get a decent um, and get some decent stuff out of it. Again, it would have to be the one year rental thing, but I kind of like that idea. Yeah, I do too. That kid was fun coming out of Michigan. He's kind of a a little bit like an Adams type in that he's not just a pure edge dude and that you you want to kind of move him around the line a bit um, as a blitzer to to get the most out of him. But he would be much better accommodated to us now than when he was coming out in the draft where I thought, you know, put him in a 3-4 and let him let him go hunt and attack and, and do that type of thing. So I like that name. I think that would be a, an interesting one too. It sucks too that Judon went down because Judon would have been another guy you would have probably been kicking the tires on here with New England if he was still up and running at this yeah. point in time. Does the does the contract work? When did he sign that contract? That might it might be too expensive on that, to be honest with you. Yeah. With that. Like, like I had to dismiss some guys. Like we know the Titans are tearing it down, but Harold Landry Jr. has like five years left on that contract or something. I don't want incredible. Harold Landry either. He always feels like a really overrated player to me. Like a little yeah. bit reputation wise. Yeah, but uh he's um he's not going anywhere because of that deal. And he also missed all of 2022. Remember, he's the guy who uh, got injured, I think, at the end of 2021 or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. No, he's had a couple injuries with it, too. I just I never understood quite the. It's not like he's considered star power good, but he's he's considered in a higher realm as far as edges. And I, I never quite understand why. It doesn't feel like he quite has earned that. Um grade so to speak as he gets there so we'll see what they do i like your thought though on the you know read out with frank this week if frank shows he's got something in the tank you know frank the tank if he's got that going then you go okay we feel good about riding forward with this and if not you can it's like he's a shell of himself that's the worry which i don't think he is at 30 years old like you mentioned he's still relatively young player when the grand scheme of things then you can make the aggressive move on the other side of it i think it's uh not the worst of ways to go here brendan yeah, how many snaps do you think he gets this weekend? 20, 20 to 25. Yeah, is that going to be enough to evaluate? I, I think you can, 
on a fundamental level, you can see like, okay, does he fit this defense? Can he play in this defense? Maybe it's enough to do that, right? I think it's enough to do it because you're going to get to see if he's going to be able to do what you want him to do. The key with, to me with Frank is this. When I look at his snap counts over the years through the Chiefs, when we look at sometimes his lack of willingness to, to play the run as stoutly, like he's kind of just waiting to kind of click it in. When you look at the playoff Frank numbers, Brendan, I mean like this guy, 17 games, 13 and a half sacks in playoff action, almost a sack a game just about he's averaging as a, as a playoff um, defender. Right. There seems to be a little bit of picking and choosing when the foot is on the gas pedal to me. And that's just a general feel here. So you bring him in rotational. And the one thing you're doing is a, a rotational, you're a fourth of the slice pie of our edge group guy is that I would think, wouldn't you, Brendan, that you're going to be able to keep in a fresh naturally to where there's not the need for the taking the foot off the gas at times. We're, whenever we're putting you on the field, because we have such a strong rotation, the theoretical part of this is that you can all go 100 miles an hour every snap and not think about saving something extra for the end of the game. Yeah, you would hope that's the case. You would. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about the trickle-down effect of losing Nwosu because uh, I, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but they were releasing uh, pass rush win rate numbers over the last couple of days, and Mafe's literally number one in the league. Like, literally, he has the highest... Uh, pass rush win rate in the entire NFL mm -hmm. of edge players, but his double team rate is like nothing. He never gets double teamed. Basically. Now I'm wondering, does he start to get double teamed? Is that going to introduce a problem here? So because, I, of Chenna, I am, because it's already interrupted, but because all to your point on that, a channel has been doubled more up until this point this year than Boye has the numbers by, by a lot, by a yeah, lot. Yeah. By a lot. So that's, it's a valid, it's a valid concern here. So does that hurt Mafe's production? And is that going to trickle down to guys like Hall and Taylor? Like it may not be this um, really prime um, collection of pass rushers that we have uh, at, at this point anymore. So I'm, I, I need to see it in action a little bit before I feel great about it. But that's uh, probably that's how I feel about it. Well, they're going to get their opportunities in single blocks, Brendan, because yes, the projections are going to slide to Boye and he's going to be the guy that's going to end up at the end of the year with the most double team of anybody coming off the edge. So Frank's going to get single opportunities. Daryl, sack and a half last week. You're going to get opportunities. And Derek Hall, you're going to get chances one-on-one. -on -one. You're, you're, not, you're not very likely to get a chip block or a double team. You'll know that every snap prior to the snap. What are you going to do with that advantage now that Mafe's kind of giving you on that side? Like Mafe did with what he did with the advantage that Uchenna was giving him because Uchenna was causing those slides to draw that his way, the protections to draw his way because of what he had done last year from a productive standpoint. And we'll see, man. I mean, that'll be the part that that I think is 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 going to be important as we go through. You need both edge rushers to get going here and, and not just have one guy happen. We've been on years we've had that, Brendan, where we've only have one guy that can get it, make it happen. And we've come over and over again to come to find it's not enough. It's not nearly enough. Even if you have a little bit of pressure coming from the inside, you need the edge group, especially with that wide nine alignment. You need both those guys to be able to bring it. So we'll see what they can do. But I think Clark's going to like his chances if he's getting a chance to be probably single blocked as much as he's gotten to see in the past couple of years out there in K KC because he's always been kind of their most – I know Jones on the inside causes, but he's been their most uh, edge guy that you worry most about, I think, in recent years out there being Clark. So Yeah. I mean, he was a three-time Pro Bowler in Kansas City. I don't know if he deserved to make the Pro Bowl, but he did make it. So he had a very strong reputation. Big, big rap on that one. That's for sure, man. Yeah, that regular season performance was never quite there. He is, his best years were with us as a Hawk. If you even look at the PF Nev numbers, it's pretty it's pretty stark, isn't it? I mean, it's not a matter of like, well, it's kind of the best years. No, his best years were here. Um, but 
who knows? He's he's coming back. He's hungry for a ring like he talked about today, Brennan. You'll have him rotational and fresh. And uh, he should have fresh legs in general, being that he hasn't played a lot of snaps up until this point. So maybe yeah, he's and he's in game shape because he was trying to play for Denver. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He's got the training camp and got all that as far as his background goes. So hopefully we'll see. We'll learn a little bit this week. I think it'll give you enough snaps, Brendan, to at least get a general feeling. You know, is he is he just getting blown off the ball in the run game? Is he unable to generate any more pressure? Has he lost a step as far as the quickness goes? I think we can make these kind of assessments a little bit in watching him this next week, um, just a bit. Feed me more Seahawks. Thank you for the uh, $2 donation. I appreciate it. And he says, uh, Vance Joseph, that was our defensive tag coordinator for uh, the Broncos. Thank you for that minor. Man, the, the name was on the tip of my tongue and I just couldn't get it. Feed yeah. me. Thank you for the uh, note on that though. And uh, yeah, Vance Joseph, not doing the best of work out there with the- Two good games in a row though. That's true. Maybe starting to turn it around, though. They're talking about fire sale Bronco City here. I mean, they're, they're, they keep talking that big talk. I think we've heard for three weeks that Sutton and Judy are on the market. They're like the salesman who's trying to offer his the, his beef out on the streets, right? And Brennan, they're like, no one's taking. He's like, no, it's a good. I got the pepperoni. I got the sausage. Look, a fresh sausage. And they'll be like, no, I don't want the Cortland sus- sausage. No, no Judy pepperoni for me, please. It doesn't seem like they can get a, a buyer out there, does it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they're waiting to see just in case they can beat Kansas City this week. And then like, hey, maybe we're still in this kind of. We can't justify blowing it up now. But um, uh, maybe they're just waiting to make sure they lose that game before they commit to the fire sale. I don't know. It seems like, I said this before, it feels like they're kind of on autopilot over there in some ways. Yeah. Like they're not, like I said that Sean Payton feels like he's coaching on autopilot this year. Not really thinking things through that well. Yeah, And I don't know. I, I mean, honestly, this is a league-wide thing. I think a lot of teams that need to blow it up just don't have the fortitude to say, okay, we're actually going to blow it up. Agreed. It's that in-between place <clears throat> that so many teams end up, Brendan, that you just can't get out of. And you're stuck there, like, permanently. It's, yeah. It's awful. Like, uh, apparently Carolina was trying to be buyers at the deadline for, like, a number one wide receiver. <laughs> for that, too, Yeah. Yeah. And we're just one, like they're thinking we're just one wide receiver away. Well, looking at their team this year, it's like, oh, just one wide. That's all we need. Like, yeah, that's what I the ownership thing. You have to think that's the ownership, the little, little tickling you get where that's the ownership coming in. That doesn't feel like a general manager who learned at the feet of John Schneider would be thinking this way at this moment. Like the time to get number one wide receivers is not at the trade deadline. Said nobody ever, you know, like mm-hmm. nobody who, who got a number one at the, at the deadline ever. I mean, those are hard enough to get much less this time of year. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, very, very, yeah, like I said, ownership there seems like it's going to be a problem, which uh, I'm not against. It's another NFC team that maybe we don't have to worry about for a long time. Their loss, our gain, Brendan. Their ineptitude, our smarts, our our understanding of what to do that's going to be smartly applied. So uh, hopefully so. So, Frank, you feel good about, you're okay with it, low-cost move, but you certainly are not going to be uh, swearing swearing if they go out there and make something aggressive On uh, in addition to that. It's kind of what I'm hearing is right. kind of a summation. Yeah, it, it's uh, you're not going to replace Uchenna Nwosu with Frank Clark. You're going to try to mitigate the loss yeah. with Frank Clark. That's really how I would put it. Well said. Well said. Um, let's before we turn over here to this matchup with the Browns. Um, I always like to get the injury updates from you right now. What uh, what do we got right now with latest on Walker Sharbs and the like down the line? Uh, we got some good news and we got some bad news, which is the case for most injury reports, I think. Uh, the good news would be it looks like Charbonnet's back. 
It looks like Metcalf is going to be back. He's been practicing at full this week. Evan Brown looks like he's good to go. Uh, it looks like that we're going to be, uh, we don't really have much to worry about in terms of somebody like um, Curhan and uh, Bradford. They both look like they're ready to go. Uh, they okay. were not even listed on the injury report today. So I think that's good news. So there's definitely some good stuff. McIntosh looks like he might be able to go this week. I don't know if he will, but he could in theory. Uh, the bad news is we're still waiting for Lockett, Walker, Haynes, and um, uh, Wagner, actually. They have not practiced yet this week. Haynes practiced a little bit yesterday and mispracticed today. So it seems like there might be something going on there. Uh, they are veterans. Like Lockett and Wagner are not guys who need to practice a lot because they, they, they know how this stuff works. They have familiarity with uh, their teammates. They don't really need to do it. But it is getting a little bit concerning, I think, that it's Thursday and somebody like Wagner is still battling an ankle injury. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens tomorrow. Yeah, well said. And, you, and this is the nice part of having a Devin Bush, at least, yeah, versus a Radigan, uh, only on the on the squad that you can go to right. here if it does. Uh, not that I, I want to see Bobby roll, but you know, if, uh, if it's got to go that direction, you're at least feeling okay about the position, and then, especially Jordan Brooks and kind of some of his ascent this uh this season we have a little uncertainty it seems like on the walker injury i've it, i haven't been able to understand if this is maybe a there's a real true injury here or if either just trying to maybe like let's rest him a couple days in practice after a lot of wear and tear this year so far a lot of carries on his body here yeah that's possible uh carol usually doesn't uh carol usually doesn't give that stuff away until yeah. friday so yeah. we'll probably find out on friday if the injury is legit or not but, um, I mean, Walker is not a veteran. He's a second-year player. Now, for a running back, that kind of is a veteran because running backs just don't last. But I don't think he's a guy that you hold out in practice just because, like you might with Lockett or you might with uh, uh, Wagner. So I'm a little bit concerned. Well, the one thing I wonder with that, though, is it's it's a different with a back that's got this carry. I mean, you've, you're up around 20 carries a game, which in this modern NFL age is, a, I know back 1980, 1990, this was different. But now in this age, that's that's much different where it's his legs have got to be sore. His body's got to be sore. And like, do you want to put that guy out having running at full speed at practice at that point, you know, fatiguing him more throughout the week? Or give him a couple of extra days for the body to just kind of heal back up a bit. And I, I wouldn't be surprised when it comes to running back that this is kind of a normalcy throughout the league a little bit when you get the guys up on those carries. Because it's it's what they tell you health-wise, which is the recovery mode is so important. And the only way you get there is by sometimes when you've, you've done the intensive stuff is the intensive relaxation, you know, the intensive not just going out there three-fourths, which still will tax the body and fatigue you a little bit. Um, but I don't know. That's the part. It's an it, it's we don't know for sure. We're kind of guessing here a bit. Have you um, gotten anything from Abe Lucas on what's going on there? What the timetable is on that? I haven't I, heard anything about Abe Lucas new this week. So, I mean, I didn't expect him to be back for this game anyway. So I wasn't even really paying attention to it. But it's just it's going. That's really all I know about it. It's it's going. And uh, he's probably still a little bit away from uh, returning. It's where it is. When we hear something new, folks, we'll give you the update on Lucas on that. And uh, but I've not heard anything as well, so we'll just have to see where it goes. Luckily, we get Charbonnet back. So if Walker is beat up, Brennan, you at least feel like this is why you got that second round pick, man, was so that you still had some vital, vital talent at the position. If you happen to lose RB one, right? Right. And maybe Macintosh. And McIntosh. Can't sell out McIntosh. I'm excited to see him, man. Remember those cutups from training camp with him making some just nasty cuts in the open field. 
Right. Pretty, pretty nice. Uh, Y2K. Thank you for the uh, $2 donation. Says, how often do you know us going into a two, three defense? How often? I'm guessing he's trying to say, how often do you see us going into a two, three defense? So, I mean, we basically always have two down linemen now. Like it's always just Draymond Jones and Jaron Reed. We yeah. almost never bring the third guy. Yeah. And then we have the two edge guys who basically play like defensive linemen. But I don't know. Have we done anything where it's like three safeties, three corners, and then just the one middle linebacker? Not that I've seen. I, I think what they do is they will flip out, you know, like one linebacker for an Adams thing and have him down there occasionally. But it's not not like you're what you're meaning, you know, because he kind of turns more yeah. into a linebacker than anything else. He's like, so you still have two LBs down there for all intents and purposes. Um but I like Brendan says on this Y2K, they've pretty much almost fully abandoned the three, four, maybe here and there, they'll still bring it out from time to time, but it's, it's those two man fronts all the way, however you want to call it. And that's where, you know, they've having success and luck with it now. And the run fits have been way better this year than they were last year, which, you know, is a testament to them starting to solve this scheme a little bit and how to run it right. Cause it looked like last year, they just didn't have any idea how to run the run fits and make it work when there were so many natural open gaps on those two man fronts. We're just like, well, how do you attack this? But they're, they're figuring the smart way out to do it this year. And um, I, they've, they've referenced Brendan. It's the buy-in that they've gotten the guys buying in. And that's what's allowed them to get here is that everybody just gets their job done, sticks to your gap. Don't get a creative. Don't try to do too, do too much. Just as Belichick would always say, do your job. Right. And it's working. So there's no sense in being upset about it until it stops working. That's right. Absolutely right. But thank you, uh, Y2K. I think you're going to see that 96% of the time this upcoming week against the Browns. You'll see that two-man front this week, but not the three on the back. It'll be two middle linebackers and then a flexing out around of Devin Witherspoon and Adams um, and Julian Love as they kind of flip around into different different roles and spots depending on the down and distance. Um, let's uh, let's turn this then and over here to this upcoming matchup here, Brennan, which is an, an interesting one with a, a good amount, I think, to kind of break down here a little bit. Um, I think before we get over to the Browns offense, let's let's tackle the biggest dragon here in the room to tackle with this team. And uh, that's going to be what our Hawks offense is going to have to do here against this Browns defense. You mentioned with the updates injury wise, I think we can take for granted from this that we're going to probably see Kerhan back right tackle, Bradford right guard. Evan Brown at center, Damian Lewis left guard, and Charles Cross left tackle. And this is going against a very tough Browns front who's played some pretty good offenses this year, but who've held the line. And then they had the complete kind of vomit on themselves game last week against the Colts where I was talking to some Browns folks from their channel today, and uh, they felt like I felt on this one. There was a little bit of taking your foot off the gas after that big Niner win the prior week. What are your, I guess, talk a little bit about the defense and your thoughts on the Brown defense, but just to the Browns team and overall, I guess we should maybe leave that a little bit. Where do you see this Browns team? Is this a, one of the more dangerous teams in the NFC, or do you see them as more of a middle-of-the-road team or that we don't know maybe even? I mean, it's really hard to say anything about them after what happened last week, right? Uh, P.J. Walker completes like 20% of his passes, and they have one big run the whole game. Other than that, they're running for like half a yard to carry but they still score 39 points. That's not supposed to be possible. It's like uh, it's like when uh, you simulate a Madden game and it says that a team scored a touchdown every 32 seconds. And it's like, <laughs> come on, come on. It's, this isn't funny anymore. Like, I, I know you're trying to make a joke computer, but you're not, the AI is not advanced to the point where you're able to make a coherent joke. This doesn't make any sense. So 
I, I, I kind of feel like right now in the state that they're in, they are kind of a mediocre team. When you're talking about this team with PJ Walker, when you're talking about this team down to their third string uh, running back now, basically, and a guy they signed a couple weeks ago off the couch. Um, and by the way, they're missing, uh, what's his name? Wills, the uh, tackle. Apparently he's not going to play. Willis, Jedrick, Jedrick. Yeah. Jedrick has not practiced yet this week, apparently. Wow. They're already down their right tackle for the season in Conklin. Yeah. So I, I, I see them as a pretty mediocre team, a team with most of the time, a really good defense and a really bad offense. And I'll tell you when PJ Walker misses, he doesn't miss by half a yard. He doesn't miss by two yards. He misses by five or six yards. He's got a strong arm, but it's, it is not in the vicinity of being accurate. It's the place where I'm sure you've heard within your own chat some of the consternation about a backup quarterback coming in and how much problems we've had against those. But it's been a very typical backup quarterback that we've struggled against, being the cerebral Colt McCoy, not the cere Colt McCoy cerebral, but just he's an older quarterback who knows what he's going to look at, you know, Matt Schaub type. These are the ones that give you a problems, not the guys that are mobile but don't have the accuracy in order to take advantage of some of those shorter throws. We saw a little of this last week with Dobbs, who and he himself is not the most accurate of throwers of the football, and there'd be times guys would be somewhat open and he couldn't hit the throws. Um, that is definitely the case, you know, with this with this kid. And so, uh, yeah, mediocre is a good way to probably put with where they're at with down. Nick, Nick Chubb, I think you would agree, is probably a top three back in this league minimum when he's healthy. And uh, he's out of this game, and that's that that does weaken that offense. He's the motor of that offense, you know, the heartbeat of that offense. But looking at this defense, Brendan, that's the thing that's got most Hawk fans scared. Can our offense do anything against this defense? Well, um, as an offensive coordinator, you do have the ability to scheme things up. You do have the ability to counter things. Like, obviously, every the, the thing that everybody's looking at right now is Kerhan versus Miles Garrett, right? That matchup on the right side. So you've got to find a way to make this game not about that. you got to find a way to make this game where, okay, if we lose, it's not going to be because Miles Garrett had eight sacks. It's not going to be because Miles Garrett had like 20 tackles for loss. It's going to be something else. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you've got all three of your tight ends. You know what the, it's not like you're going into this game expecting to have Abe Lucas and then you end up getting up to game time and you're like, oh, Abe Lucas can't play. This whole game plan I wrote is worthless. No, you know what you're going to have going into this game. You're going to have Kerhan. You're going to have Forsyth. And the, you're, you've got a problem on that side. So you should be able to cook something up to mitigate that problem. So I'm looking at that and I'm going, the, the Browns have a good defense, but in the modern NFL, you should still be able to find a way to score some points on them. Yeah, I would think so. And I think there'll be a, a bit of a feeling out here because Jim Schwartz, the defensive coordinator for the Browns, will do some different things based on the opponent. He played a lot of man, 71% of the time against the um, Niners. He played man coverage concepts. And so that will be interesting if he's as gutsy and is willing to do that against us where he's doing that at times with both. They've got pretty good corners over there in Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom, and they'll bring him up and press Brendan and then just try to trust them to handle press and run with the guys. And uh, boy, you get, especially getting back DK's big in this game, because I don't know if they're going to be as willing to do that as often in this game with him, him especially out there on that outside, but um, you got to make them pay the price if they do slide into the man, man points at times. And they're going to do that to try to bring the blitzes and to try to, like you say, get around then Kerr hand and being able to double. And one way to get around that is if you bring blitzes and now that chip blocker has got to account for a middle linebacker coming through the A-gap or a, another blitzer coming from another side. And now you have to put Kerr hand one-on-one -on -one at that point. 
this is going to be then when moments in this game to me where Gino's going to have to throw that nine that nine ball up to, to DK, take some shots down the field if they show him those looks like the Niners did. It may not complete every one of them, but if you complete a couple of them, DK's shown like he did, like for instance, in that Bengals game and a few times this year, he could take the top off the defense if he gets the press look and gets up, he can get up over the top on the side. And Gino's shown he can be pretty accurate with those kind of throws. But uh, you've got to take the shots with it. And that means Gino's going to have to just drop back on some of those throws, take that third step, trust it, and let it rip. Anticipation has not always been his kind of claim to fame this year so far. It's been more of he wants to see it at times. He's got to probably get a little more into that, trust the receivers on this one, so like he did with Bobo last week. You know, Even if there's not necessarily with these big receivers, Brendan, give him a chance, right? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, how I look at this one. You're probably not going to need to score a ton of points to win this game, right? The... Uh... Obviously, the one thing that could allow this game to get away from you is probably turnovers. I don't think P.J. Walker is going to be able to march up and down the field on you and put up a bunch of points and um, dominate the game in that way. If the Browns score a lot in this game, it'll probably be because you gave them the ball a bunch. So obviously, you want him to play carefully. It's kind of like when teams played uh, the Broncos last year. And it seemed like they understood, look, we only need to score 17 points to win this game. So just don't take any chances. Let's punt the ball a lot. We'll put together a few good drives on the day, and that's going to be enough because we know Denver's offense can't score. This game might be a little bit like that where you do have to say, all right, we're going to settle for, you know, punting the ball a lot and just kind of uh, try to try to play it safe. Mm-hmm. And obviously Geno's had a little bit of a turnover problem the last two games, so he's probably got it in his head anyway, but that seems to me to be the only way we could really get boat raced in this game. Agreed. I think you'd say too, if we lose the turnover war, we'll probably lose this game, right? Unlike last week where we could go three L and still come out with that win. I think this is a different was a horse of a different color, Brandon. And if that happens like that this week, I think we do lose. We gotta we gotta stay on top in the turnover battle or at least make it even zero, you know, where neither team gets a a pull on that, right? Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure PJ's going to throw it to us a couple times. Uh, just they said it today. Hey, it was coming out of the, the straight from the Browns' mouth today, man. As I had both both guys on the the channel that I did the the stream for said, yeah, it's he will give you some chances. He's gotten lucky on a couple of throws where it's like the guy dropped him and hit it right in the guy's hands, had an easy pick, and just got away with uh, getting lucky on it. But he's not your typical backup that's given Seahawks problems in recent years. This is much more akin to the Dobbs kid we saw last week than it is to akin to the Colt McCoy type that that we've had yeah. come through and give us problems. And so, uh, yeah. And a uh, fun fact, did you know that he's never had more than 20 yards rushing in any game in his career? Walker? Yeah. They were saying that today. I thought he was mobile, but they were saying that he's not really, you think of him as being mobile, but he's not really mobile, they said. Like the guys yeah. I was talking to, they were like, it's, he's really, he, he can move in the pocket and he'll make some moves that kind of, it's, it's like maybe the Malik Willis thing, right? Malik Willis whole thing was like, oh, he'll be like, you have people trying to make Vic comps with, to the kid. And then he goes out that first year and averages like 3.7 yards per carry. And he's, he looks kind of like not as fast to get to that rate. You know, he's not going to ever be a dynamic runner of the ball. You know, that's just not his, his bag. Yeah. So even that part, we can't really worry about it that much because that might be the one thing that can get to us a little bit because Dobbs did have some success doing that, but that's not really PJ Walker's game as it turns out. No, I think they're going to try to just run their offense, Brendan, which is it's Stefanski with the two tight end sets. And, it, you know, he's going to try to bat, run balance with the ground game. He's not trying to be too pass happy, but that does not mean what we saw last week, which is the typical read option look out of shotgun 
quarterback's going to keep about five or six of them over the course of the game, including the one Dobbs scored on. You're gonna, I don't think they're going to run that as much. And maybe right. they see Dobbs doing as well as he did last week with a little bit, and that makes them lean into it some. But watching some of the Browns tape so far with Walker, that's not really been how they've used him. They've kind of still just run their offense as it normally is run. <laughs> and they are a two tight end offense. They love they love their two tight end sets quite a bit out there. They're not as much yeah, in it's them. uh Nijoku and Harrison Bryant, right? That's right. Which yeah. they're okay. I think they they would tell you that they would like to have be getting more out of Najave and Njoku. He's been always kind of a potential guy, I think, there for them, where he's not been bad, but they've just always been kind of waiting for him to take that next step to his game when they draft him and like them coming out. Um, one tough thing about this defense, Brendan, and dealing with Miles Garrett is that though you can put the attention to him, and I'm, I think, like in Tomlinson and Shelby Harris on the inside, a defensive tackle are pretty strong and solid for them. They're not lighting the world far, but those guys are steady. But then you got Zadarius Smith on the other side. This Browns team went out and made a very smart value signing trade. I think they had to make with the Vikings to pull him in. And that does a good job of really not allowing you to necessarily just kind of lean to one side. Cross is going to have to get the job done over there. Whoever he gets, be it Miles Garrett flipped to that side or because guy, that's really what they're going to do is they'll put Garrett over there and they go, okay, your, your inclination here is going to be then to try to double Zadarius on the right side when we put him over there and double him, but then you're going to leave Miles on Charles. Do you trust to do that? And that's that's a bit of a pickle at that point for us on that offensive line, isn't it? Yeah, they're going to do a lot of things like that to make things not so fun. You've got uh, that. You've got the fact that they've got two really good outside corners as well that are able to allow them to do blitz stuff without putting themselves at too much risk in the back end. So, I mean... There's going to be a lot of problems for the offense in this game. I think we just kind of have to accept that going in. It's not going to be a great day for this offense. This defense is not going to let very many teams have a great day. Obviously, the Colts found some success. And I, I mean, I don't totally understand how that happened, even having watched it, right? I, I don't know how Gardner Minshew went off like that. I don't know how they ran the ball so well. But they are going to put you in a lot of really difficult situations like that. Absolutely. Zadarius Smith has been... How good has he been this year? He only has one sack, but he's got a lot of hits and hurries. So the mm -hmm. pressure numbers are still the the out, outside pressure numbers are good, if not the base sack levels is fine. And they seem to feel like he's been a good good addition to him. And watching a couple of the games as I did, I have not yet gotten to the um I tried to get to the Colts game. I was just finishing the Niner game through. I got a couple of the other ones that they had, but um he's been active in those games. He's been a he's been a factor, especially because I think, like I say, the teams end up being driven to that singling him. Because you always want to drive to then double miles. You can't really afford to double both on either side. You got to pick your poison. Somebody's going to have to single block with the edge group. And uh, he is still a guy that can get it done, you know. So it's, it's, he's not just a guy out there. He's a guy that, you know, will be a problem if you're just single block him all day, especially if it's Korean. We're talking about doing it because you want to, I mean, the coaching staff will probably try to trust Cross at times out there and single blocking in those moments and push the double team then over to the right side. Yeah, we are one of the top teams in the league at trusting our tackles in, on islands. Obviously, that was last year when we had Cross and Lucas the whole season. But when we have it available to us, we like to trust those guys. Indeed. Indeed. As you would with Abraham, Lucas, and Cross. That's uh, the, the benefit of having guys that are that good is that then you can run all your guys in the routes and kind of flood stuff on defenses. But uh, it will be interesting to see what their tactical approach is and also what the Browns choose to do. If they do try to attack Kerhan on that side with Garrett, knowing that that then – you know, kind of free Seattle up with Cross, and and though Zadarius is good, I feel like okay, Cross can do okay against Zadarius on the other side. He can hold up over there one on one at that point. But 
It'll uh, that'll be kind of one of the fun matchups. They've also done a good job with the Browns, Brendan, with a guy that was kind of a prototype guy, a modern guy that we do our scouting every year in the NFL draft, and it's become now more commonplace to see these middle linebackers at two twenty-five. And uh, this kid was kind of the trend center for that because there was a lot of consternation about who who's he going to be, how good is he going to be. That's JOK Jeremiah Akuzier or Ruzi. I can't say his name ever, but he was a guy. JOK JOK two two twenty coming out of college. But he was a great cover linebacker, a guy that you you everyone's going, well, how's he going to hold up? He's not going to be big enough. He's going to get broken down. But but everybody got copping on. But how good you need these guys now that can cover these tight ends, these linebackers. And so few can. Here's a guy that can. He's really rounded out into, a, I, I think, a full full player, a real good player, in addition to still being a top-notch cover man from the linebacker position. And I think he's helped to kind of set a trend here a little bit at times with some of these linebackers coming out because now they're all light and they're all trying to run fast at the combine, Brendan. Yeah, I mean, it it, it kind of makes sense with the way tight ends were going a few years ago, right? We had that kind of tight end uh, renaissance with guys like Gronk and Hernandez, and then you had Kelsey now, Jimmy Graham. Like, there, there had to be some kind of a response to that. And you very rarely see the bigger linebackers anymore, I feel like. Uh, we, we've talked about this before. Like uh, Sewell last year was mm-hmm. uh, one of the rare examples of like a slower, bigger, bigger linebacker. And it, I, I like it. I think it makes sense. Um, I, I think that with the way the league is going, players like this make a lot of sense. And uh, JOK was a player that I didn't scout very much in that year's draft because linebacker was not really something that I thought was a realistic possibility for the Seahawks that year. Mm-hmm. So I kind of skipped over the linebacker stuff. But, uh, I mean, you, given the fact that this team gave up so much money and so much draft capital to make the Deshaun Watson trade, it's kind of amazing how well put together this defense has been despite that. Like, they have really been working behind the eight ball in terms of money and draft picks, and it's really hard to find weaknesses on this defense right now. Well, though they have an owner who will come in and tell them to draft Johnny Menzel from time to time. They also have an owner in a front front office that was one of the first in the NFL to start embracing the analytics side of it. And I think that that's helped them, especially when it comes to drafting players and hitting on picks and doing, you know, well with that. Um, you know, they've done very good on these. Denzel Ward is a top 10 pick corner. It's done really good for them. Uh, Grant Delpit, a guy that they took out there that was injured coming out of college, but you loved his tape, and you're like, once he gets over this injury, he's going to be really a really good safety in this league, and he's really rounded into form. He's one of the better players on that defense as well. So they they've done a good job. Greg Newsom, another high pick that they've hit. You know, they've done good at, at really targeting the players in the right spots in the draft. You know, and that's that that helps when you have a lot less misses. It definitely helps, you know, and certainly anything that stands out to me for their value based drafting. You know, Dewan Jones. You had Dewan Jones in this draft. You have Jedrick Willis, and you have um, the kid that's injured right now, Conklin, is it? So, yeah. you know, you have these two guys already as your starters. You're there, I think, in the second round with Dewan Jones, and you're like, well, you have other needs in other play. You get a, you need a receiver right now. You could use that. But their value on their board said take Dewan Jones. This is paying off for them now because when you then go down with Conklin, you have Dewan to go out there, and Dewan's held up you know, reasonably well. Kind of strange with him. He's that gargantuan guy that's 6'8". He can't run block for his life this year, but he's great in pass protection. I don't, don't, yeah, I don't know what to make of that one with it. But that's that's another thing that goes to Brendan. We talk about staying in value based drafting for our Hawks and staying in that mode. This is why the organizations that do so can overcome mistakes, can overcome problems because they're doing things from a draft standpoint in such a smart, fundamental level and not being driven to need. That need drive is always there, kicking in at some point or another. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, pretty impressive. Like, like even a Dalvin Tomlinson, a, a free agent signing that looks like it's worked out really well for them. He's been good for them. 
he's been good his whole career, honestly. Um, the the Newsom pick wasn't Newsom the guy who had like the spine injury that people wondered if he was ever going to be able to play. If I recall, I think that might sound right. That sounds it was might- either him or Caleb Farley had Farley. That. Farley was the one you're thinking. Okay, Virginia. Tech. Okay, because yeah. I remember I did a lot of cornerback scouting that year, and I remember looking at Newsom and looking at Farley a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, like Newsom has worked out pretty well so far. Um, and it's impressively put together. It's, uh, again, this team made what I think is now, and maybe we'll talk more about this later, the worst trade in the history of the NFL. And the fact that they bounced back to put together a squad like this is really, really impressive. Yeah. There's some good discussion on that, that I want to get to on this because it does go to their coach a little bit and and a little bit of a talk that's a bit supersedes this and in the view viewing of coaches and evaluating them properly when they have things kind of not break their way. Let me get a couple of uh, donations caught up here on this side. Jesse Lund, thank you for the uh, $5 donation. I appreciate you for that. Jesse says, do you guys remember last year us hyping Sean Payton to the chargers laughing out loud? How time flies, right? Who gets canned first? Russ? Or Staley, go Hawks. <laughs> you know, Dean Spanos ruined everything. If he had just fired uh, Staley like he should have and hired Peyton, he would be happier. Peyton would be happier. I think the Broncos would be happier too, honestly. like, Amen. Yeah, you're like, right all down on this one. Like He could have made everybody happier, and instead he just decided not to. And now Peyton's miserable with this terrible team in Denver. Most Denver fans don't even like Peyton. Like if you read the uh, Broncos blogs, they all complain about him now. Um, and um, obviously the Chargers, they're not happy. They they went all in on this season and it's already a failure. Yeah. Like that's all you had to do. Just fire the coach who blew a 27 point lead in a playoff game. It, it, it defies logic, the whole thing behind Staley. I mean, doesn't it? They, you already had Herbert in house when you went and got him anyway. Like, what are you doing? Get the offensive mind for this great. You'd have your pick of, of great offensive minds at that time to go through and take at that point to bring on to, to tutelage this kid because he's the he's like the ideal quarterback for them. I mean, what? How? that's the no-brainer move. Then you don't do it. Then you don't fix it after you know it's wrong, Brendan. And this is why bad organizations are bad. You know, and um, yeah, I think you're 100% right. Sean, if he was with the Chargers, it'd be a, a big different story. I think a, a part of Peyton's failures here come from taking Mission Impossible and not having any Tom Cruise plot armor, right? It's no, it's just Mission Impossible. You know, no, it's the the wick's going to go all the way down and get to the bomb. It's going to blow. <laughs> it says you're no avoiding it. If you take this job, you can love yeah. your twenty million dollar check all you want every year, but that's the way this is going to burn out. Doesn't matter what coach goes in there, right? Right. And I think eventually Peyton will find success in Denver, but it will be a while. Agreed. Don't get me wrong. Agreed. I, I, my Jesse, my thinking with his. My thinking really, Sean hasn't changed. I think he's just walked into an environment where there was really no win to be had. I mean, Brendan, do you think there's any coach in America that goes into that situation in Denver this offseason and has a fix for it? Uh, mm. I mean, regardless of any coach around, just let's take any coach not associated with to any team right now, or you know, that is associated, but you can just grab him and pull on to Denver. Do we really think Andy Reid's going in there and fixing that team? I mean, Andy Reid would be interesting. I don't think he would fix that. I mean, he wouldn't be able to fix the defense, though, is the thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that he would have Russ playing better. I think he would have the offense playing better, but it wouldn't fix the defense. So probably not. Yeah, I agree. I maybe be a bit of an improvement over Peyton, a bit of an improvement, but I don't think anybody's going, taking it all the way home. Um, certainly not even just get him to a playoff status this year. If we're talking about going to the mountaintop, just getting to the 
first summit of the mountain. I don't think you'd get you there. So, uh, yeah, I remember those times though, Jesse, and, uh, a lot of buyer's remorse going on out there in Denver in a multitude of ways and fashions, huh? <laughs> Go Hawks, brother. And, uh, oh, we got to answer the question. Who's you? Uh, well, I mean, Russ is probably, I feel like they're going to bench him eventually. And I guess Staley's going to last the season. So I guess Russ gets canned first, technically. The key with Russ is that he asked, there's one week after the season ends, if Russ is still on the roster, the, the Broncos become on the hook for more money, a significant portion of more money uh, that they're embedded to. That's going to drive the decision, I think, to cut Russ before that time period. But I also think Staley's going black Monday as well, right? Yeah. I, here's my answer, Jesse. Both at the same time, both Monday morning, the very after Super Bowl, you know, but it's going to be neck and neck. It'll be a matter of a days between the two as to who goes and who doesn't, because they're both going to be probably on a, on a rail as the year goes down and winds down. Thank you though, Jesse. I uh, appreciate you for that donation, man. And uh, go Hawks brother. Kevin Lone, nice coming in with a big fat $20 dono drop. Thank you for that. Kevin, you're very kind for doing that brother. He says with these two defenses, my prediction 13 to nine Hawks, of course, kind of has a little bit of that feel doesn't it, Brennan in the, uh, this could be just sort of a teensy game, right? we got two teen scores where it's like, 17, 14, 14, 10, something like that. Yeah, it's hard for me to believe in anything else, right? I know the Browns played that really weird game last week, but that, if anything, just makes me feel more confident that they uh, are going to revert back to their typical output, which is low scoring and a lot of defense. And maybe it comes down to whoever, you know, it kind of comes down to whoever scores last. Yeah, who's ever got the ball at the end there and can, you know, take it down for a field goal at the end to pull it, push it through. But I, I think, Kevin, it's going to be a bit of a a knuckle, knuckle down defensive fight. Offenses are going to have some tough sailing, I think, throughout the day, uh, as we've seen with the offensive line where it's currently at with the three backups. Once again, we'll be, I guess we'll be down to only two backups in this game. So that's an improvement from where yeah. we've been. Um, and maybe the, maybe they start to play better offensively as the line gets just a, a smidge healthier yeah. um, at this point. But And a lot of people think Bradford's better than Haynes. I don't, but a lot of people think that Haynes should be the backup anyway. Yeah, I don't think I think you're in the you're in the same spot with that as I am. Where I I can see Bradford giving you more highlight moments and more big big moments where he's out there crushing a block, laying a pancake, but. To me, Haynes gives you more of a consistency to know that you're not going to have those drops where there's games where Bradford will be the top guy. Like we had a couple of weeks ago, as your most highest rated player on your offensive chart. And then I think this last week, I think he was the most lowest rated guy in our PFF chart, wasn't he? As far as the game scores go, or when he was right there at the bottom on the PFF scores in this past yeah, game. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So it's you, you get the fluctuation in performance, and really you can make the argument you're looking for the consistency from the position more than the flashy moments. Bradford, I think, proving himself to be a long-term answer there, but uh, I can still get them leaning towards Haynes when it's all said and done as far as when he does get to, you know, full health. Right. Thank you though, Kevin, for the big $20 donation. I salute you, sir. You are awesome for that big $20 donation drop and uh, well said as well. I think that the score is very likely to be low in this one. And it comes down to why we can't make mistakes, can't have unforced errors, can't have Gino making stupid decisions at the wrong times. You know, he's got to, when it goes to hell, throw it away. Throw it away. I saw it tonight. I don't mean, Brennan, you're watching the game as well. Did you get that moment there with Josh Allen where he's he's rolling out to the side? And it was like reminiscent to me of Gina rolling to his left in this past game. And it's, you know, Josh still can't seem to learn lessons, I guess, because um, he's rolling, he's going outside and he keeps going. 
And then he gets tackled by the defender and then he comes up with his knee and you can see him pressing his knee down. And then he's in the blue tent shortly thereafter. And you're going, Josh, just throw it away. What was the upside there? A three yard gain? Just chuck it out of bounds. Live. It's a first down play. Chuck out of bounds. Live to, to, to go another day. And um, you've got to do that at Gino in this game. It's Throwing it away is not the worst idea in this kind of game when you're going to be playing it so tight and so close, at least as it looks on the outside looking in on this one. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I just, you know, don't give away points, right? The last two weeks, Gino's given away a significant number of points with some of the bad choices he's made. And mm. that that's the thing that can make us lose this game because otherwise outside of that, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about where this game is going to go. If everything holds up as expected. I am as well. Uh, you mentioned where they're at offensively speaking and you know, they don't have a lot of playmakers. Cooper's still doing what he's doing out there. Elijah Moore has not found a fit. We'll talk about the offense here in a second, but this is set up for you to take this game and just, it, it ain't style points. It's just, we're going to be better. We're at home. We're going to grind this one out. We're going to get through another week at this offensive line, a little healthier, even moving into next week, get a few more reinforcements in the ranks and get the W at that point. But I, I, I see it going that way as well. And by the way, their backs are down. Even Kareem Hunt, I guess, is fighting through an injury. Uh, yeah, I think Kareem Hunt will play, but Jerome Ford won't. All right. So they're down to three. And, and Kareem's, you know, just coming in off, called yeah. in off the couch a couple of weeks ago. He's fighting through an injury as well. So yeah, remember uh, Pierre Strong in the draft? He's apparently their other back. I don't think either of us were particularly super excited by Pierre Strong. He was the really fast guy, I think. I think he was the uh, top uh, back at the Combine that year in terms of speed. Oh, yeah, he was that speed guy. Okay. Yeah. He hasn't gotten any carries so far for him, really, has he? Maybe here and there, but they are, they've definitely not gone. They've been leaning back to the, the Jerome Ford and then went right back to our guy this week who's going to be starting, so... Yeah, there was this weird stat last week. Jerome Ford had like one carry for 70 yards, and then his other carries were like 10 for five yards or something. We liked him coming out. We did like Jerome, didn't we? You you were with me on that. I think so. I don't remember him super well. He, it was that there was the drop off because you had Brees Hall and Walker, and then the next guys below were your the kid that you know the kid out of I think it was like Miami or whatever that's playing for Texas now and uh, or playing for um, yeah playing for the Texans. They're back, and then there was oh, a lot Pierce. of yeah Pierce. That was that thing where there was a huge drop at that point, but he was okay. You know he was good, but the, there was definitely a difference between him and the others. But hey, we don't have to deal with him. We don't have to deal with Chubb. We got maybe a a broken legged. Uh, number one, you know, it's, it's definitely going to help us this week having their back situation where it is, you know, not, not as many threats back there this week for our defense. And maybe they can play down on those routes. be interesting if they squeeze things down once again with this kid Walker and, you know, tighten things down defensively. Again, to your final point though, on that, I just think don't give them the short field, make with the way this defense is playing right now, force them to fight every inch to get down to score against us. Cause this defense is being so stingy. If you give long fields, if you play the field position game, they're they're showing you that there's a kind of reward for that right now with how they're playing. And maybe this isn't sustainable. Maybe it's because of the level of competition, Brendan, but level of competitions remain in this week where it's been. So it's not like we're facing the the toughest of the tough offensive this week. Anyway, next week will be more of a tail on that one, but right. for, the, for this week, it's a different story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tolkien's pencil. Thank you for the $10 donation says, will Eskridge see the field punt or kick returns? DJ scares me sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, honestly, DJ's doing such a good job. I can't imagine him losing it, right? He is one of the best kick returners and punt returners in the league right now. I think he's safe. 
I agree. I think you're getting enough efficiency from that position, which if we look league-wide trend-wise, doesn't seem to be one that gets you a lot of yards anyway. So to have one of the better ones in that respect, you're getting the most that you can get via the trends that are out there league-wide in this realm. The other thing with Eskridge is that we've got to kind of just, if if we're going to commit to him having to be on the roster, which this isn't our discussion, Brendan, you and I think we'd both be at the place of like, I don't know if it's really even, but okay, you're having him on the roster. He's going to be out there. Put him into the offense, have him be that his role in the team. The guy's made of glass. You know, we, I, I don't like the whole thing of like, well, no, he's just going to have to hold up at some point, put him in out there on special teams, have him as a gunner on punts, have him down there trying to tackle. No, he's, he doesn't. Obviously at this point, we can make a pretty good assumption that that's not who he is. So have him on offense, bubble screens, running routes, doing fly sweeps, utilize him in that means. But for the love of God, I think we just got to try to, if we're going to commit to having him on the roster for the time being that we are probably try to protect him. Am I being too safe with him at that point? You got to just let it rip with him. And if he breaks, he breaks. Um, I, I, I think that's something that Kyle Shanahan does and it rarely works out for him. So that's the part of Kyle Shanahan's coaching strategy that I'm not trying to emulate. Honestly, that's a uh, one thing he does that is, uh, not optimal. So, I mean, honestly, I don't know how to use Eskridge period. I don't know how to use him in any facet with this team right now, because Bobo's been better than just about anybody expected. JSN's coming along. And, and you know, Dariq Young is going to be back soon. There's been some good updates about his health, by the way, in the last uh, week or so. So I think that, um, honestly, like I would say I don't want to use Eskridge like that, but I don't know how to use him at all. There's just no room for him at this point. Bobo took his spot already. Bobo took it. Sorry. He's, he's not a Bo bro. He doesn't get a chance in the field. So it is what it is, Brent. I don't know what they're going to do. They seem to be committed to trying to find some little role for him somehow. But um, like Carol was referencing today, how fast he was and fresh legs and going, okay, you guys are still in on this experience. Okay. We'll see if. You know, yeah. Come. I wonder if you could just use him to take the top off the defense, just send him on nine routes the whole game. Yeah. And, and just be like, well, you're going to have to cover him. Like you can't just ignore him. I will say this, Brendan, you know, what, what have the Dolphins done right now? And part of what they've, uh, they've got a lot more creativity, of course, in their approach with pre-snap motion and post-snap motion. But a big part of what the Dolphins do to find their success right now offensively is, is it not being able to throw speed at you at every single position at times where there's, yeah. you know, there's a Mozart, there's an A-chain back there, there's a Waddle, there's a Tyreek Hill. They've just got speed. And when you do put Eskridge on the field, with a DK Metcalf, when you have Kenneth Walker out there, you've got three, four, three guys on the field at any one given time. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I I want to see how fast JS. Uh, um, I'm sorry, uh, Eskridge actually looks on the field because I think one thing with him is that he tested to run really fast. I don't know if we've ever really seen that speed on the football field. That's a fair so point. We we need to actually see it translate on a football field before we feel like we actually have another four, three guy. Yeah. I think that's a good point. It's a really good point. DJ does scare me a little bit at times talking with his decision-making out there, but I think overall he's the best that we have to offer on this. And I don't think they're going to put him back with Eskridge back there on the kicker punt returns. I think they will try to be pretty protective, but uh, thank you for the donation, man. I appreciate you talking for that, man. And uh, thank you. Very kind of you. Uh, Thaddeus Sexton with a $5 donation says, if we did a trade for DeForest Buckner or Leonard Williams and they do good for us the rest of the season, can we resign them since we're going all in? You could, but it would hurt. You'd have to either backload a bunch of your other contracts, like the Metcalf contract and the Geno contract. So your future gets hurt 
or you're going to have to let players go at other positions and possibly just be really weak at those positions, like uh, tight end, right? We've got two free agent tight ends at the end of the year. If you let both of them go and then you don't have any money to replace them, it's just going to be Disley and two rookies. And you might have to let Disley go because he's one of the guys you can cut to save money. So then you're like, okay, we, we have this super tight end happy offense. Now we're going to have three rookie tight ends that are probably not even super high picks. I, I, it, it becomes really dicey because there isn't a lot of money to go around. You could, but I don't know if I would recommend it. Yeah, it's going to be very hard to do with Thaddeus. We got to also build into the balance. You know, you load balance a little offensively, future contracts, but you've got the Draymond Jones signing, big monstrous deal, almost up at $20 million a year. You've got the Ochenna signing, big monstrous deal, almost up at $20 million a year. I don't know that the team's going to be likely to move off of Adams this offseason with how they've structured that, and, and even you know, potentially Quandary still does remain at that point. So the cap will go up naturally. I've heard even that there's maybe some estimates of the cap going up of up to even maybe 20 million extra here this year with some of the increases. But I think there's going to be a draw to go back and grab Jordan Brooks, if not bring Bobby Wagner back in that, that becomes a one, two, that becomes a one, two priority. And then you start to go to some of the other positions, positions you mentioned. I think they would like to take that approach as opposed to throwing all those guys out for just a DeForest Buckner. Leonard wouldn't be as costly. DeForest is your, he's going to be like a 23 and a half million per year guy. If you sign him to an extension, Leonard will be like a, 10 million, you know, so he would be significantly less, but I I'm getting more increasingly, in my opinion, liking the thought of playing the compensatory game, because like you talked about here, you have so many free agents going out, you have so little money, even if it goes up 20 million, you sign a couple of in-house guys, let the rest go. If you had a Leonard Williams come in and you let him go, or, you know, the Buckner Buckner came in and you got him for a cheaper car. I don't think the Colts are even selling. So this isn't even a possibility, but right. you, um, you would let you play the compensatory game on the Stadius where you'd have three or four free agents that would sign out there. You'd eat up your own cap with your draft picks and then with your own internal signings and then make a trade if you need to do some other things or go for the third wave free agents that don't count against the compensatory system at that point as an alternative. And then you could get some picks out of this if you play the game right with that a little bit. I'd, I'd be a little bit more in favor rather than the re-sign train. Yeah, especially with somebody like Fant, who I think is going to get a big contract. That mm -hmm. is not going to make, uh, I like if the Seahawks gave Fant like 15 million a year, I don't think you'd be very happy about it, no. but I really do think he's going to cost somewhere in that realm. I really do. Yeah. He's had, he's been productive every single season he's played. He's a complete player. He's like the third, the analytic folks out there in the football land that look at it in the front offices. You may be down on analytics front offices are not. And right now I think he's about the third highest rated tight end in the entire sport. He's likely, I think, 12 to 15 million per year is what he's going to get. But that's where I get to that compensatory game. Think about it. You know, Brennan, it's like, okay, you have, um, you bring back Bobby, bring back Jordan, you know, make a trade for the other cap space, maybe third wave signings. Okay. You have Fant go out at 13 to 15 million. That's a fourth round pick back now for Fant. Parkinson goes out there and signs some small, moderate deal, but a little bit. You get a sixth round pick back for him. Who else do we have for agent? There's a couple others I'm forgetting. There's somebody else. Uh, oh, it's, uh, well, Okay, yeah. no, not Jaron Reed, but uh, Devin Bush, I guess. I don't think he's going to get anything, though. He might not get anything. But then, Dad, we yeah. got Mike Jackson. Is there a team out there? And maybe not going to give him a big deal, but he's got a bit of yeah. a history of playing solid. Yeah. Honestly, don't laugh. DJ Dallas, he's doing such a good job on special teams this year. Somebody might say, you know what? I think that's worth a non-trivial contract to me. Homer got a decent deal. 
You know, yeah. we, we weren't playing the compensatory game last year, but he did get at least a deal that would have gotten us a pick back, be it a sixth or seventh. I'm not saying that's a lot, but I'd say that's something. And if you get four, if you get a cumulative three or four of them, it's real nice. Even if mm-hmm. none of them are in themselves are, you know, particularly high. So I think there's an opening to play that game a little bit there with it. But uh, Thaddeus, I'm Brendan. If I mean, they, they, they announced tomorrow that they make a trade for either of those two guys. Are, are you anything but effusive in your praise of the deal? It depends on what the deal is, right? Like, I think we need a. Let me say that we don't get that we don't get raked over the coals on anyone. That it's it's more than a fair value as far as the front end costs go. Yeah, I'll be on board with it. Yeah, I'd be in the same way. So, but I don't think either me nor Brendan Brent Thaddeus think that there is a, a really a deal that's probably coming down the track. Um, could be wrong on that, but I, I think it's going to be dead quiet at this trade deadline this year. Uh, I, I think Seahawks wise, yes. Uh, I do think some teams are going to aggressively blow it up. Yeah, like, like I mean, if they can, like, like we we've been theorizing that maybe these players that Denver wants to trade have no value, like, like. Uh, but I'm sure they want to trade guys like Sutton. Like Sutton's a ridiculously overpaid wide receiver four right now, basically. Agreed. No, I think that they want to do it. I think the problems you just mentioned are what's right there at the forefront of this, though, being that that uh, unfortunately there's no people that are going to give you a value. You know, okay, we'll give you a six for Sutton. I mean, that's why there hasn't been a deal up until this point. You know, I'll give you a six for Jerry Judy. Ah. I'd jump all over that if I'm Denver. Like, I just don't want to pay these guys anymore. Sutton's on a long-term deal, by the way. That, that's true. I get you there, but it's just that it's it's probably hard to just dump something for complete sunk cost at that point and not get any value back when you thought at the start of the year there was value built within. It's hard for teams to cross that bridge, I think, when they've made the determination that they think that this guy's worth yay value when he's really not, you know? And uh, it'll be, but you might. I think they're going to try. They're going to try. But then absent the Denver, who's the other team going in sell mode hard? Titans. Titans. Could New England do it? They got that win last week, man. Bill's, Bill's like, we're back. We're back, baby. We're ready yeah, to run. Yeah, they lose this week, though. That I mean, they're two and six at that point. That might be it. I can see a team like the Chargers do it because if, um, well, they play the Bears this week is the problem. They're probably going to win and then feel like they're back. Yeah. Um, um, like like we say, teams are more hesitant now to go into blow up mode because of the extra playoff spot. So maybe not. Interesting to see. It'll be a fun, fun trade deadline to see if it does pick up. Um, but just have to kind of see. We'll know in a couple of days on this very soon. Uh, Ming Lee, thank you for the five dollar donation, Ming. I really do appreciate you for that. It says uh the Seahawks will lead the NFC West division after this week. Woo! Ming coming in with some confidence tonight. I love that energy, Ming, on top of the donation, man. Are we going to lead the NFC West after this week, Brendan? Tell me it's so. I mean lie to me. Lie to me. Uh, you know, it's feeling pretty good. Niners. Uh, things just are not going very well right now. It looks like, uh, you know, I was, I, this offseason, I thought to myself, it doesn't really matter who the Niners have as their defensive coordinator because their defense is going to be great regardless because they're so talented. But it looks like they found the one guy. They found the one guy who can take that defense and make it not very good. So um, <clears throat> the no Brock Purdy, it looks like it would be really – shocking if he played to me so there's some things going on right now that's uh feels like maybe it just took a little longer than we expected for the Niners nightmare season to settle in 
But Brennan, they told us at the start of the Brennan, come on though. The Niner fans told us that they've got the most talented quarterbacks since Steve Young there now. What are you, uh, you're worried about Brock missing the game. They've got the most talented quarterbacks and Steve Young is his backup. I, how does, how do they not feel completely at ease going into this Bengal game at home with that? So disrespectful to Jeff Garcia, man. So disrespectful to the great Jeff Garcia. The the legend, the legend, yeah. legendary. <laughs> no, Jeff Garcia was really good. Actually, people do forget about that guy for some oh, reason. No, multiple time pro bowler, very productive quarterback. And then he didn't have exactly, I don't think the stack teams to work with that Montana and young had. He had some good players, but not the complete stack teams that those teams, not to mention no Bill Walsh. Um, no, even George Seifert. You know, he was down to Mariucci by that point, you know, so, but um, yeah, I think that the Broncos are down Debo. They're down. Um, I think they're still down Trent Williams too. If not, he is very hobbled. Um, yeah. So, you, and I'll tell you, you're mentioning, you, you did it as a kind of a side comment there, Brendan, but I think it's low key kind of super on point. Like what is Shanahan doing with McCaffrey? I, I watched that Browns game and he's just fe- like, yeah, no, no W tours oblique in that game. You're giving them the ball every single time you have a series. He's getting five and six touches on every single series. Why? Like, yeah. I mean, it kind of happened to him in Carolina too, where they just gave him the ball too much. I I think it's because he keeps playing with these bad quarterbacks that can't get the ball down the field. So he, they end up just feeding the ball to him because they don't really know what else to do, but just throw him the ball on those little screen passes all day. And what happens happens. But, like, as Shanahan, just get him out of the game. You've got competent backup running backs, and you've proven you can take no-name running backs and make them good. So I don't understand it either. It's really bizarre. I I guess this is, like, uh, the fatal flaw in Shanahan. It's like, you remember the fatal flaws they kept finding in Moneyball with the players? Oh, yeah. His fatal flaw is he thinks his players are all robots that are made of titanium. I I guess so. Because you just you go, what point are you going to learn this? And they showed a shot of, of McCaffrey on the sideline watching that Browns game and just bruises up and down both of his arms. I mean, here and in various states of repair and just freshened up, and he had blood going down his jersey at his knees. And you're going, man, like, dude, Shanahan, like, you, this is, you have some control over this, my guy, you know. You can you can moderate this, and like you said, they've gotten such good look on the backups before. With it's it's never been a, a star running back that is their their running offense is wholly reliant upon. They've been able to be it's, it's his creativity, it's his employment of his scheme and a diversified approach that allows it to cook. Strange. Yeah, yeah, I I don't get it. I don't get it. But uh, Ming, thank you for that five dollar donation. I do and believe do believe we're going to win this week. With I'm bearing the I'm I'm kind of giving you a little bit of a teaser on our predictions for this. I think we do come out with the win. I do think the Niners are going to lose this week because they're short staffed. This is a team that needs their their dogs out there. And me and Brendan have talked about this saying if you got their top heavy and they lose two guys, three guys, two guys and a half, which is you got you got to see with McCaffrey playing through that injury. That's going to be too much for them. They they don't have the depth to be able to weather those roads, and so. That's what's going on, and they're going to play a tough opponent this week. And the and the Bengals coming off a bye, I think. Uh, yeah, indeed, I think we're going to be leading the NFC West division after this week. Yeah, I'm feeling I'm it. Channeling it. I'm channeling it. I'm I'm doing it as well. We're both in the seance thing going, Ming. We're both me and Brendan. Like, I'm, I'm first place NFC West. Uh, you know, <laughs> we're 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 going to do what it takes. Light candles and all that stuff. No Ouija boards though, Brendan. <laughs> Um, Jeffy, Jesse Lund, thank you for another donation. Another $2 drop it says if they can't run the ball, their D isn't as good. 
that being the uh, the Browns mm-hmm. that he's uh, he's talking about here. Yeah, I mean, you go three and out over and over and over again, eventually bad things are going to happen. And this is an offense that is fully capable of going three and out a lot. I think too, on to his point on that is that it's, this is an offense with so much of the two tight end sets. You know, we run the two tight end sets because of the strength of our tight ends there. And that we we can be going to the three wide receivers if we need to. We can kind of do what we need to do. With that team, it's more of that Stefanski's bread and butter is the two tight end sets. He's led the league multiple times over in the amount that he's run it, just the sheer amount of times he runs it. And that means that in its general nature, they want to remain balanced. They don't want to be pass happy or even I think at 55, 56% pass rate. They want to be down in the middle. And to your point on that, Jesse, that means having a running game that can operate and be, uh, you know, um, functional enough. But it's hard to be functional as a running offense when you're down to your third back who he himself has hobbled. And your offensive line has got a right tackle that's a rookie who's been at his best in pass protection. And now they're going to have a backup left tackle. Not that Willis, looking at his PFF scores, Brendan, he's been um, having a very tough year to start start off. He has not been you know, for reading a top 10 pick. And if I'm not mistaken with him, I thought he was more of a right tackle coming out, that that was where he was going to be at his best. I don't know if he's ideally yeah. suited to be a blindside myself. Yeah, this Browns team has three right tackles then, I guess. Three quality right tackles, but no quality left tackles. It's a hell of a problem to have, man. Yeah, a hell of a problem. But yeah, if they don't run the ball and we turn them one-dimensional and it's on the arm of B.J. Walker, I stand firm in saying this is not your typical backup that can then pick us apart like we've had. This is not going to be Matt Schaub thrown for 400 yards against us. This is a guy that just does not have the accuracy, especially in what's going to probably be Brendan. On. You guys are getting kind of crispy over there, right? It's getting a little chilly over there. It's starting to get a little bit of that, that Pacific West Northwest turn that starts to kind of sometimes restrict offenses as the weather starts to get a little bit more, you know, colder, wet, a little more wind kicking up. Yep, uh, at various times. Some bad weather. So I, I think that's definitely going to be impactful if we can stop them and they're going to be at the forefront, stopping the run. If Carol ideally wants to turn teams one dimensional, he's really going to want to do so this week against PJ Walker. That's going to be definitely at the forefront. You don't want to let him off the hook, Brennan. You don't want to have to walk out of this game with Walker going, well, he only had to throw it 20 times in this game. <sighs> yeah. I mean, more. I mean, if you look at his stat line, the last couple games that Cleveland's won, it, it defies all logic and reason. <laughs> yeah. I even watching that Niner game through the first half of it, where you're going, Niners are kind of moving this ball. They feel kind of in control of this game. It just sort of slid away from them. The weather turned brutal out there. They have had a couple games this year, Brendan, they benefited from. That Bengal game in the opening week and the Niner game where there was like a torrential downpour in Cleveland during those games where it got it got really muddy and just it sort of leveled the playing field in those two games, I think, especially that Bengals offense that wants to throw. Right. Makes but sense. Uh, thank you, Jesse. Appreciate that donation, man. And uh, Tolkien Pencil with another $10 donation. Thank you, Tolkien, for the double donation yourself. It says, if the Niners do lose and hit the panic button, will they go for Cousins before the deadline? Could they get him? Would it change the trajectory of their season? Ooh. Yeah, it can't happen anymore. Not anymore. Um, For one, I think the Vikings are going to be four and four after this week. They're playing the Packers. Mm -hmm. So I don't think they would throw in the towel on the season. Like that seven seed is wide open in the NFC. Wide. Like I think Tampa Bay had it before tonight's game to give you an idea of how open that is. And I definitely think Minnesota is a better team than Tampa Bay. So. I mean, I think they even look at the division, Brendan. Uh, Lions, I know that they're a strong team. The Lions are five and two. If you get to four and four and the lead of the division's at five and two, you still could easily be looking at that from the Viking standpoint saying, we're, we're just starting to play our best football. Uh, we're going to get back Justin Jefferson. 
we don't have a tough division. We're going to go through here that we have to go, you know, we can still take this division. I, I mean, some people might be thinking they're smoking crack on that. I don't, I think it's, I, I lions are good, but I, people have kind of gotten a little bit into the crowning of the lions thing. And we'll see how we do against Baltimore on the road next week, but they got embarrassed by the Baltimore uh, a couple weeks ago out there. And, um, so I can't see the Vikings moving token cousins. I just can't. And the Niners, the cost that they would have to give up to do that, then cousins playing his best football and the Vikings to have to know that moving him means they deep six the season, which they still have some hope for. That means the, the Niners would have to come in with like two first round picks just after they had the, the free first round picks that they, that they threw out the door on lands. I think that he'll just end up, they'll end up probably trying to make a run of him this off season with it. But it is it is going to be interesting, Brendan, with them on the Niner front. I, not to go too deep in the weeds on this one, but they have more cap space than anybody in the NFL right now. And if they really got they really got jiggy with it, they they could decide yeah. to to go hardcore if they really wanted to. I do think they're going to trade for somebody, but it's not going to be Kirk Cousins. What do you what would you think it's probably likely to be? I think they kick the tires on maybe some offensive line trades. Unfortunately, the Titans have like the worst offensive line in the league. So that's the one team we know is blowing it up, but there's really nothing they can do there. Um, and honestly, if there are any pass rushers out there they can get, I think they go for that because their pass rush was invisible against the Vikings. They didn't hardly touch cousins. Uh, I, I think they may be looking that area. Um, some people are saying they're going after Sertan. I don't think they can aim that high, but their secondary is kind of a weakness. We kind of knew it was going to be going into the season. There are things they can do. There are definitely things they can do in the trade market, but not Cousins. Sertan's the one to me that makes a lot of sense and scares me a bit of all the trades I've heard about with the Niners because Demandre Lenore would be the one you'd be flipping out for there, and that'd be a huge, huge upgrade for them at that position. And you have the Broncos looking at right now, Okay, Sutton's not getting us a lot. Judy's not getting us a lot. Who's going to get us a lot? Who's going to actually get us a return here? Quickly come to Sertan, a guy that's going to be due to be paid very soon, who, you know, you Niners give up a first-round pick at plus, first-round pick and a third, probably gets it done, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, some people say he's worth two firsts. I don't think he is. But first and third might get it done. I, it is in the habit of these NFL teams to overvalue their players, though. So maybe Denver would be like, we got nothing to talk about unless it's two firsts. And then San Fran is desperate and they say, okay, fine. Could be. It could be. And San Fran's definitely in a bit of a go-for mode right now. They got to feel like that window's closing and we got to we got to get this done. And already some injuries have taken hold here. That's got to get them worried. That we got to reinforce this a bit. But they're going to be as much as interesting to watch what we do. We do. It's interesting to watch what they do because they have that weird flexibility. I've been thinking that they want to roll it over, obviously, that money so that they can go sign up Brandon Ayuk next year and do some other moves. Because, you know, if they, they don't roll that money over, Brendan, they're in some trouble next year. Oh, they're going to be in trouble soon regardless of what they do. Like, there's yeah. no way out of it. But, um, I, I mean, they need money for Cousins next year, I think. If that's their plan, they're going to need – 50 mil a year for Kirk Cousins, probably. I don't think he's taken less than that. You bring up the interesting part, which may be end up being the thing that keeps them from making that Sertan deal, is no, we can't do the Sertan deal now because we got to roll over all this money in total to be able to afford Cousins, who's not going to take a discount from us, even though he'll want to come play here for a winner. He ain't taking any less money than he can get on the open market. So we need every bit of those dollars to be able to sign that at that point. 
that'd be interesting if that's something that is informing of them of that, right, Brendan? Like they don't go for it this year because they're already looking to Cousins on the horizon. Yeah, I mean, they seem pretty in for a penny and for a pound with things right now. They're just like, screw the cap. We'll we'll take it on the chin later. So I imagine they're at least discussing it, but I don't think they do it. I think that's a little beyond them. I think maybe um, one guy that I know that they're at least thinking about is a Jalen Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, the Bears cornerback, who's pretty good. I'll like maybe sense. you could get him for like a second round pick or a third round pick. That's yeah. probably a little more reasonable. That makes a lot more sense on that side of it. If let's just say that goes crazy, Bill, the Vikings lose this week, get embarrassed, and they decide, okay, we're not, we've seen enough. Just I know that we don't think it's going to go this way, but just in the sake of answering Tolkien's question, uh, does that change their trajectory? Cousins coming in there at this late hour versus just riding with a a Darnold and a and a Purdy through the rest of the season? Is he that good to come in there and just instantly go? He does know the offense. I'll give him that, having some history there. I think it With does. I Shanahan. think it makes them I think it makes them better. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I guess I'd have to think so too. If he didn't have that time at Washington with Shanahan, I might not think, well, he doesn't know the playbook, but he's such a smart, heady guy at the quarterback position. He probably knows the reads and the checks and all of that. And they probably would get on the same page pretty quickly there. But I do agree with Brendan's original point in this token, which is just that they're not uh Vikings still think they got a chance. They're 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 still like you're, you're telling me there's a chance, man, and there is just a little bit. They're playing pro okay ball. I was that was an impressive yeah. win this last week. I mean, they. Right. I love what Flores is doing with his a creative approach up there, Brendan. He's he's going for it, man. That guy's as gutsy as hell. Daniel W, thank you for the two dollar donation. Appreciate you for that. It says Niners have wasted their firsts in worse ways. It's true. I mean, I don't I don't think they'd regret trading for Sertan. He is yeah. good. Like it would not be uh, an equivalency at all, but that still doesn't mean you do it unless you, I mean, if you do it, then it's like, if we don't win the Super Bowl this year, it's a complete failure. Like making it to the Super Bowl would be a failure if you trade for Sertan. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think they do it. It is the definition, as you say, of the Super Bowl or bust. And uh, I don't think that they do it either. Cause I do think that Denver is going to insist upon it just a little bit too much than what Dem than what, San Fran wants to give up in this deal is they they're a team that's not only didn't given up the Lance the three first round picks let's not forget they also gave up a second a third and a fourth and they didn't have as many picks last draft not to mention they didn't have the best of drafts either so they, they got to be a bit cognizant of this too but there's no doubt about it you put Sertan out there with Jerry Swore on the other side that allows them to run a lot more man based concepts and press coverage concepts and stack more guys up around the line of scrimmage and make their pass rush even more fearsome and if that were to occur then that would certainly make them the front runner far and away to to be uh, the Super Bowl contender out of the NFC. We have a lot of ground to make up at that point, I would feel like. Uh, thank you, though, Daniel, for that uh, that donation. And I think that you are, you're right and that they've done worse things. And you certainly have to believe the Niners are turning this concept over in their mind right now as a possibility. Like, well, is this that move to get you over? You know, is this that, you know, like Rams-like move, the Von Miller-like move to get you over the top? And yeah, the answer is kind of, yeah, it is. And he's still young. So it's like, you have a part of this. You can think, well, and he can still be part of our long-term future here. Even if we give a lot of draft capital to get him and brought in. Yeah. Uh, can, you get, can you give him the long-term deal though? Because you already gave all the long-term deals to guys like Argrave and Bosa and Debo and McCaffrey. And like, like there isn't a lot of pi- uh, cap space down the line. I think there's the anticipation of the Trent Williams retirement. And then you would have to let Brandon Ayuk go. That would be the combination yeah. to make that work. 
That would be hard for me to stomach. I I like Ayuk a lot. I think he's good. I do too. I do too. But you are already paying, you know, um, Debo Samuel out there quite a bit of cash. And so for a team that's not necessarily super pass happy to pay two receivers, I know Debo's kind of a running back too, but paying two essentially receivers that kind of high watermark money when you're not necessarily a team that wants to throw the ball a lot is uh, maybe something that might push them away from doing that too a bit. Interesting decisions for the Niners coming up. Very, very interesting on how they're going to play this. Um, we've kind of covered a lot in this offense for the Browns as we sort of flip this over a bit to that side of the ball, Brendan. I think we've we've covered for the most part where they're at running back-wise, where P.J. Walker is as a quarterback. He's, he's not your typical guy that we've dealt with in the past backup like we've spoken about. I think we can limit him a bit as long as we don't let him off the hook by stopping the run in this game. Um, when they do, I'm not sure if they're getting Joel Batonio back in this game or not. I think he's starting to get back in the mix for them. He's been... I think he's playing, but I'm not sure. He's been a kind of an all pro, you know, legacy guard in this league as far as being always a really good player out there. Uh, JC Treader on the right side there has been a pretty solid player for them as a right guard. Good, good overall player, good all around player like Botonio. And then even I, Ethan, I think Wyatt Teller starting for them right now. Wyatt though. Teller. That's what I meant. Sorry, Wyatt Teller. I was wrong name. I was trying to grab um, Wyatt Teller, who is I meant. Um, and then you have Posick. Former Seattle Seahawk there who's finally found his footing at the center position. Brennan hasn't he? He's yeah. having maybe the best year of any offensive lineman there so far this season, um, performance-wise. Yeah, uh, Posick's a good player. I mean, I kind of knew he was a good player here. He just didn't really fit what we were doing. I thought that his last couple years here were pretty decent. And uh, he uh, has obviously found a lot of success over there being flanked by two really quality uh, guards. They make life easier. But, uh, yeah, Posick's a good player. Um we, we, we knew that ever since we drafted him. I remember when we drafted him, all the uh, Seahawks Twitter people were crazy about it. They loved it. They thought it was an amazing pick. And then we play him out of position for three years, and it takes a while to get the stink off of you, I think. And, uh, yeah, he bottom line is he's a good player now. And um, I, I, I was always somebody who defended Postic when he was here. Me as well. I thought it definitely put him by the heart, the eight ball with moving him around as much as they did, not letting him just slide into the center position and just get comfortable there and learn that and master that. Um, but he's doing a good job. And I think if we look at the place that we're most exposed on this team, we'll talk a little about the playmakers here, but um, the uh, definitely the inside a gap B gap runs with some of the strength of this line with having two backups potentially as the tackles coming into this game. My worries in this game from them offensively, as much as anything are, um, that ground game up the middle, them being able to just go up the middle and those guys block it up so well that, and we've done good against this this year. We've done great. That's where teams have tested us mainly, in my opinion, has been up the middle of the defense and we've answered the bell, but that's going to be where this defense, our defense has got to have to really bring it with this game because that's as good a quality on the inside, I think, as you've seen this year, maybe absent the Detroit game, I guess. If I, had to, if I had to look at another team that's has the inside guys that can bring it like that. Yeah, yeah. I think that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, playmate, I want to talk a little bit just to kind of when we wrap this up a bit on this this matchup of the Deshaun situation because you talked a little bit about that. But just looking at the receivers on this team, Brendan, they've got okay guys. But I mean, they're not bad. They're okay. Certainly, um, in um, in Amari Cooper, you still have a guy that can go get it. He's not as fast as he once was, but he's still a guy who's got great ball skills. Um, runs as crispy a routes as you'll find in the NFL. He's going to get his catches. He's going to get open at times. And uh, Walker's really going to look to feed him. Seems like Elijah Moore still not quite finding the former second round pick his footing in this league as as a competent slot receiver, is it? He's still sort of two stops yeah. now. Yeah, at this point, I kind of feel like he's probably just a bust, right? Like he's uh, 
been around long enough and been had opportunities on multiple teams now. Obviously, this is not a good opportunity for any wide receiver right now, what he's got in Cleveland. But he's probably just not all that at this point, I would say. They're trying. They're doing. They're doing the fly sweep things with him. They're doing all the typical things you'd see for the slot receiver to try to work him in, Brendan, and, and make it go. But it's just ten yards a catch, and he's got. He's got. He's on pace for like six hundred yards receiving. But watching them in the games, he's not doing a tremendous lot. He he looks small yeah. too. He looks legitimately very small in the football field. Um, the only other guy that has been kind of quiet this year that's maybe a little bit of a threat for them would be Donovan Peoples Jones. Seems like this year he hasn't been quite as good as like maybe he was last yeah. year. I liked him more a couple years ago for sure. I mean, he's been definitely very, very quiet for them, I think, this season. So, yeah, nine, eight catches, 97 yards, coming off 61 grabs last year. No touchdown receptions. Um, just kind of a – I'm not going to say pedestrian receiving core because we don't like to use those words regarding receiver cores around here, Brendan. But, I mean, kind of ordinary, kind of more jaggy than it is difference-making, right? We're going to face a lot more like Eagles game, Niners game. Um, a lot more threats that we're going to face this year on the outside than this this matchup with Cleveland. Yeah, and obviously these receivers that we're talking about, they played with P.J. Walker or DTR basically the whole season, so they're being put in some really bad situations. I think that would be uh, – I don't know how much we can judge them based on the way they're playing this season, but uh, yeah, at the end of the day, they're still playing with that same quarterback. It's true. It's going to in fact impact those guys. When you got backups in, it's hard for them to be tremendously productive when you got a, especially a backup like PJ or, or DTR um, who had, who was just in, in over his head a little bit to begin the too young to be starting that not able to kind of just make the offense function. Yeah. So we can, we know what we need to do with this defense, limit mistakes and, and embrace the grind, right? When we're on, when we're going against their defense offensively, don't let them run the ball. Don't let them off the hook. Don't let PJ Walker have a, a low amount of passing attempts and easy, easy throws within this game. Make it, make it to where he's got to kind of carry the day with his arm, right? As a, as a general, um, um, as a general way, is this, is this seemingly from your standpoint, kind of the strategy to go out in this game, to attack this team on both sides of the ball? Um, yeah, I think this is definitely doable. I think that this is, uh, at the end of the day, you, you look at this matchup and it's so clear how this game should go theoretically, right? It's mm -hmm. so clear that, uh, um, it should be a very low scoring game. And as long as you don't turn the ball over, it's hard to imagine losing because PJ Walker has been that bad. Um, yeah. like he is literally the worst ranked quarterback in the NFL by PFF. <laughs> he he is literally the nut low. He is the so it's hard to imagine him not giving you like four or five chances to take the ball away. And then I mean this might be a good game to get a defensive touchdown, honestly, with the way PJ Walker plays. Like that's gotta be a high probability. 100 percent So as long as the offense doesn't match those turnovers with turnovers of their own, you should be able to win. Agreed. Yeah, I, I see that as being the way. Limit the offensive mistakes and force this guy in a bind, force him to beat you at the arm. I don't think he's capable of doing it, Brendan. And if he does, tip your hat to him. If he goes out there and throws a bunch of nine routes and and peppers it all over the park, then in our house, then so be it at that point. But make them be that way. Don't let him off the hook with running the ball. We'll get to the uh, our prediction on the score, but the final little note I wanted to unpack with you to kind of um, see where your head is at on this a little bit because you intimated a little bit that you had a feeling that this is now – maybe the worst trade in NFL history um, with what they've got with Watson. I think it's hard from my standpoint, because unlike the Wilson thing, which is heading to a conclusion, this thing is going to continue in the future. 
Um, talking to these Browns fans today, they seem to feel like the injury is legit, that it's not him just not wanting to play football and kind of making up something in his head because he's got a guaranteed contract and he can he can do that with a guaranteed contract. But uh, from your standpoint, you don't think that that reclamation is coming and that this is indeed that at this point. Yeah, with the information that we have right now, like, like watching those games before he got hurt, he's just so inaccurate now. Like um, against the, uh, I think it was the Steelers game, he's throwing these little five-yard slants. The easiest, one of the easiest throws you can make, and he's just off on it. These are throws that any competent quarterback is hitting their receiver right in the gut. And yeah. he's just behind, he's ahead. Like even those simple throws, he's just completely inaccurate on. And Watson was a quarterback who was uh, accurate in Houston. I think his completion percentage was around 68, 69. Mm -hmm. And in Cleveland, I think it's been like 55, which wouldn't even be good by 1990 standards. Yeah. So I look at that. I look at the fact that he doesn't look as fast or as athletic as he used to be. I mean, he basically took two years off of football, so it's not shocking. But um, I, I just look at all these things and I say, at least there's a way out with Wilson, right? You can cut him and save some money. And I do think they uh, will probably do that at the end of the year. There's no way out with Watson. And I, I'm just not seeing any indication that he's going to find his way back to what he was. Because that's what it takes, right? It's not enough for him to just become a competent game manager. You can find a competent, like you didn't need to make that trade for a competent game manager. You would mm -hmm. have to get all the way back to the MVP candidate that he used to be in. I'm not seeing anything close to that. No, I don't think that this is the problem with Russ out there. Is he's being somewhat competent as a game manager, depending on the game. But that got the Denver people going, wait, we're not paying this amount of contract for game manager. That's not that's not how this works. Um, and it may be the way he goes. Like to your point on this, said, yeah, they tried to blame it on Russ last year, right? Rust, not Russ, but Rust. Uh, with Deshaun Watson when he came back off the suspension, being, well, he hasn't played in a year and he had the suspension, so he's just getting back in the flow. But he didn't look good last year, and there was nothing wrong with the rotator cuff at that time, right? Right. So to your point on that. So uh, it may it may turn out to do that. I will say that even once Denver does get out from under the contract, they still do feel the pain for a couple of years further down the line. And I do think that the draft compensation was better for what we got. We got the better haul in overall because those first-round picks, while they're three first-round picks, are not high first round picks. I don't think any of those are going to be top 10, for instance, in their selection point here. So I still myself got to give the nod to us on this. I think too, Brendan, the Browns were still not, you can look at the off the field stuff, but if we can remove that for a second, which I know is hard on this Deshaun thing, in retrospect of this, they weren't wrong to make the trade. Were they? What, what are the alternative options that they would have taken to not go Deshaun Watson to address their quarterback position for a team that believed at that time they were ready to compete and go out there and be one of the better teams in the AFC? Who's the other guy they get? I mean, if, if Watson's the only option you have, maybe you just have to keep the powder dry. Maybe you just got to keep the gun in the holster. I mean, if you're saying they have to make some kind of a move for a quarterback, then okay, I can understand that. Like, you you want to take a big swing here, and the only big swings you could take at that time were Wilson and Watson. It was that terrible QB draft class. That's right. Um, so I understand that, but I think making a move because you feel like you have to make a move, I don't know if that's the uh, – I don't know if that's the defense of the uh, Deshaun Watson trade that – makes me change my mind on it yeah 
Well, and I can get that. I just, you feel for a guy like Stefanski who comes in there and inherits Baker Mayfield, takes the Browns to an 11-5 season with Baker, you know, and then since then Baker devolves, doesn't have a quarterback there, has Jacoby Brissett having a, a pretty good year last year for them, Jacoby Brissett. And you yeah. still might find a guy in Stefanski this year getting fired, Brendan, who you might end up saying, did he get a really a fair shake? You know, he never got the quarterback as an offensive-minded head coach to run his offense. And that's kind of a prerequisite that you need if you're an offensive coach. Yeah, I don't think he's going to get fired. I feel like I feel like there's a understanding with that Browns organization that he's good and there are circumstances outside his control right now. If I had to guess, he doesn't get fired for whatever that's worth. But you're right. It's it's uh it's brutal. Yeah. It's Remember, tough. They've also lost their best player in Chubb, their best offensive player in Chubb on top of the Watson stuff. So True. I think there's some understanding of his struggles right now. You would hope some of these organizations can be so silly though with their it's this, you know, rather than targeting the actual cause or, or realizing the cause or problem or what went wrong. They'll just put it to the, it's easier to blame it all into one party, you know, make the one guy, the bad guy. And then you can kind of reset reset. I hope they don't though. Cause I think Stefanski's not going to be given an honest shake if it goes that direction. It's not necessarily his, his fault with that. Uh, Phoebe Moore Seahawks. Thank you for the $2 donation says, did you guys hear the Bobby and Jamal audibles TNF? I heard about it. I didn't hear it live, but I guess Josh Allen said uh, Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams as uh, audibles tonight at the line. <laughs> really? And he also said J.R. Smith and everyone thought he said Taylor Swift. Oh, so he said Bobby Wagner at the line or just Jamal and Bobby? I think he said Bobby Wagner. Otherwise, oh, wow. people would assume it would be some other Bobby. There are a lot of Bobbies out there. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of random. That's weird. <laughs> I wonder how they got yeah, to that. I, I think he had a Geno Smith audible as well. No, geez. Maybe they were, we, we didn't play. This was Allen and we didn't, we haven't played the Bucks. And we didn't, I don't know. That's weird. They're watching Seahawks yeah. film, I guess. <laughs> yeah. My favorite audible is still a uh, New York Bozo. <laughs> New York Bozo. <laughs> that was the uh, Aaron Rodgers one when they were playing the Cowboys in the playoffs and Chris Christie was there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I like the I like the rocket launcher. That was always my favorite when Peyton would go to the rocket launcher on the arm, and that's his audible. Just not even a word. Just he would do the rocket launcher move. Yeah, I like that one. I remember that. But uh, that's cool that they're doing that. I didn't I didn't hear it either. I wasn't I was watching the game and not listening to it. But that's uh, I wonder how I'd be I would be interested to hear the uh, the backstory on that one. How they came to those those two feed me. Thank you, man, for uh, the the donations tonight, brother. Appreciate you. Uh, Upo with a $10 donation. Upo, that is very kind of you. Thank you so much. The ghost of Russ rears its head when Drew Locke comes in for a trick play and throws a game-winning touchdown to Noah Fant and Charles Cross throwing a key block on Shelby Harris. I just want to donate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like it, man. You tried him out there for like, what? They're bringing Locke out in the game. What is this? Geno's out wide. This is so strange. What could this be? I love it, man. I love it, Upa. Let's go. I like watching the quarterbacks when they line up at receiver. Some of them just fall down too. immediately so they don't have to uh, do anything. Oh, totally. My favorite was the Cutler move, though, where he just walked yeah. out there and just stood there. It was the it was total Cutler cigarette meme, right? That's all he right. needed was just a cigarette hanging out of his uh, out of his uh, deal because he just – no effort. Didn't even try to release off the line of scrimmage. He was just like, you guys know what's going on here. Come on. <laughs> you know what's up. Yeah, I think uh, Mark Sanchez had one kind of like that. Yeah. 
which I'd be, if I was a quarterback, I'd be take, I'd, I'd, I'd get into it a little bit, you know, I'd be doing like a, a hard release and maybe that they think they're going to get chucked or something to the ground if they do, you know, like, Oh, it's that right. way. All right. They're just trying to save themselves. We know those quarterbacks don't like getting hit, Brandon. Yeah. Makes sense. Upo, thank you though, man, for that $10 dono drop, brother. Uh, very kind of you. And uh, maybe you'll become, maybe you'll be our psychic on this one. If you're seeing into the future here, uh, Daniel with the $2 donation says, uh, he's inaccurate cause he's tense. Deshaun just needs a massage. Yeah. I've wondered how many of those I can get away with before I get in trouble with YouTube this week. I, uh, I had somebody, somebody was texting me that, did you see there was like a Devin Witherspoon PR deal that he said something about that? I don't know if it's true or not, but my buddy sent me this. He said, I guess doctors over there in Cleveland told him he can't play. And he's finally taking no for an answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, he brings it on himself, I guess. Like yeah. he's got no one to blame but himself. But uh, you went and you go deep. You're just, this stuff, you just, you went deep, you know, it's going to happen. You know, he's, he got that big guaranteed contract. My sympathies are not there with the man. He's fine. You know what I mean? Right. He's doing all right. But that's, will we ever see another fully guaranteed NFL contract after this no. debacle? No, no, because this is going to be a this is going to be a something ownerships and general managers around the league can use and say, this is why we don't do that. This is the absolute reason we take all of this risk. It's it doesn't make sense, and no other team's going to do that anymore. So you'll probably see some team go crazyville with it at some point, and do it, but it's not going to be few and far between, and it won't be an industry standard thing that we're going to start to see. It it decimates your team too hard. I mean, they have no answers. They have no outs. They like you say, they are stuck and stuck for the foreseeable future. Right. Thank you, Daniel. Nice joke as well, brother. Thanks for making us laugh too, in addition to the donation. Tolkien's Pencil, thank you for the $2 donation. It says, who you got? Rangers or D-backs? Uh, you know the Rangers bullpen is going to... There's no way that bullpen's winning a World Series. So, mm. you know what? I'm going with the D-backs. They've got the good bullpen. Like The baseball gods will not allow a team with this bullpen to win a World Series. I'm going to, I'm going to prove, uh, I'll go the opposite way of Brendan just to, to prove I, I I'm going to go with the offensive firepower who needs a bullpen when you got this kind of offensive firepower and you're playing from ahead. And, uh, that's a Ranger lineup. That's uh, deep and everyone can get to you. I think that they're going to bat around a little bit of that D backs rotation and uh, be up, find themselves up in a lot of those games. So the bullpen won't even matter, Brendan. How about that? Open will be neutralized. That's what it, I think that's what it's going to take because uh, Chapman's just waiting to find a way to blow two games in this series. You know it. <laughs> yeah, you do. That's for sure. He's not the one you can he's, he's with that end of his closer life where you're like, I don't know if I can trust this guy. It's getting a little bit dicey here. He's in that Heathcliff yeah. Slocum you know, mode. right? Fernando there. Rodney. Fernando Rodney. Yeah, we've had a few of these that have come through here in our time. So we've, it's not our first rodeo, but uh, thank you, Tolkien. Appreciate you for that donation and you guys as well. All of you guys appreciate all the donations on the chat today. You guys are always very, very kind with that and is uh, very much appreciated. Brandon, we've, uh, I think, broken down this matchup pretty well for what our, our Hawks have got to do. I think that leaves us with one thing, which I know is not always your favorite thing to do, but the fans want it. we got to give them what they want, which is, of right. course, the prediction. So we think it's a dirty affair. We think it's going to be muddy, bloody. It's not going to be fireworks right it's going to be just in the muck as you get right that's what we're expecting give me a score of where this game's going i'm gonna say i'll say 17 to 9 
Seahawks. 79. I like that score. I do like that score. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, we'll go with 2013. We'll get it by a touchdown. So we hold them to 13 points, two, two field goals and a touch to Tutty, and then the offense gets enough. I think the ground game gets going with Charbonnet in there. I think you get in there pounding things, and right. he's a little bit of a different runner and maybe a little bit more able with less holes to just kind of bang things through and keep those four or five-yard gains going, keep the short chains. Because if you can keep yourself, I think, right in this game offensively to the third and three, third and fours, it does keep their pass rush a little bit not as able to come at you versus those third and eight, third and nines where now you're going to get the blitzes and you're going to get those – those guys knowing that you've got to hold on the ball a little bit longer for those routes to develop, you know, to get down to the sticks. So uh, I see it going that way as well. Uh, got to get this win, Brendan. I feel like looking at the schedule going forward right now, this is a very close to a must win kind of affair being that you have a Cleveland team. That's not as strong as we thought this off season coming into this. It is a home game and the run of schedule coming forward looks mighty, mighty tough. Does it? Yeah, not? this is important. This is a really key one here. Yeah. So hopefully the Hawks can bring that kind of spirit this week. They got the throwback uniforms. You know they're going to look sweet out there. Are, are you in favor of full-time uniforms on throwbacks, by the way? Do you find yourself in that camp? Yeah, not full-time. It'll become not so special if you stick with it too long, I think. That's fair enough. Man, they look good, though. I'll tell you what, they the fans are going to love them even more once they see how they look uh, this coming upcoming Sunday, especially when we get the victory on the back of a Brennan. It's not going to be too bad. Well, you guys uh, do me a favor. If you haven't already hit that like button, if you haven't as well, please do get subscribed to both Brendan Nelson, Seahawk Brendan Nelson's channel, as well as here to the Hawks nest. If you haven't on either side of it, we will be back here on Tuesday to do our, uh, our, our breakdown and wrap up of this game. But uh, until that time, we've got ourselves a very interesting matchup coming into Lumen Field with a tough team that's going to give us all we got, I'm sure of it, with a tough defense. Miles Garrett, probably the defensive player of the year. We didn't even talk about him, Fred. And I just, what we did talk yeah, we about? We talked him. about him a little bit. We talked about him a little bit. We know what's at the stake here with him, which is double team, do what you can. You can only, he is the definition of you're, you're only going to be able to hold him down so much, but take as many efforts as you can, as Brendan said, to not allow this guy to, to wreck your whole game plan. Don't let their best player be the destroyer of worlds that's what you'd like to avoid in this one right do that and yeah, you, you feel like good stuff mm -hmm. sorry go ahead yeah it's, it's just like the old stuff we did with aaron donald try to find some way to make sure it's not him and we had limited success doing that but it's got to be a new era you got to understand what you're up against and like i said it can't be that guy let it be somebody else amen let it be somebody else anybody else but man he is a good one he had one move brendan i saw where he did this sets up over the center and starts doing a crossover dribble move, like pantomiming, doing a, a crossover dribble on the center, and then busted his busted his butt post snap. It's just ridiculous. The guy's just ridiculous on the field. Well, I thank you guys for watching. I thank you, Brennan, for uh, coming in the house as you do here twice a week on this side of things, man. Very, very much appreciated. Um, like I said, hit that like button, subscribe on up to both our channels on the side of things. We'll be coming back cooking strong here in a couple days. But until that time, I hope we wouldn't have to remind him, Brendan, but we probably should, huh? Probably should yeah, let him know. This is too important. We can't, we can't risk it. Let's not risk it. Let's not risk it. Folks, do not ever forget the season is well within our grasp. The Niners are starting to, to, to look like they got some cracks, cracks at the edges potentially here. And you never know, there might be a trade deadline deal move on the end of the potential winning game this week if we can pull it off looks like a bright future looks like a bright future this upcoming season we shouldn't have to remind you but me and brendan are going to do it anyway because we want to make sure you guys are keeping it at the forefront of your mind in this most excellent excellent season do not ever my fellow seahawk faithful ever forget go hawks go hawks